All right, guys. First up, I have my first uh, episode interviewee. Uh, she is a really good friend of mine. Her name is Lauren Drake. Hi, Lauren. How are you? Hey. Not your hey, only uh, friend, but... Well, yeah, not my only friend, but, you know, I mean, you could be. That's fine. You're a good friend. <laughs> uh, cool. So thanks for being my first guest. Um, I chose you uh, because you're a great candidate for the idea I have for this podcast, which is, you know, basically getting the reaction shot from friends, family, even strangers um, on how they feel about certain movies that either I love or are really popular. Uh, if they're older films or newer films, whatever they may be, um, I basically just want to use this time to sit and talk about all things movies. And uh, first up uh, for our first episode, we have Scream, the 1996 uh, horror slasher film uh, directed by Wes Craven who is actually considered the master of horror. Uh, I don't know if you know this, Lauren. I'll probably tell you and everyone else listening a bunch of facts that you didn't know or maybe didn't want to know, but I'll let I'll fill you all in. Uh, Wes Craven actually directed a bunch of really popular horror films that are considered big classics to this day. Uh, he did one of his first films was The Last House on the Left. Uh, it was back in the 70s. Uh, they actually did a they actually did a remake. Uh, I want to say in two thousand nine, mm -hmm. which Wes actually produced, um, which was pretty cool. Uh, he did The Hills Have Eyes. He did Swamp Thing. Uh, famously, he has a Nightmare on Elm Street. The infamous Freddy Krueger. Uh, he also did a really popular early nineties horror film, The People Under the Stairs. Uh, so you know in. <laughs> Back in nineteen, back in 1995, 1996, he was approached with uh, the screenplay uh, originally titled Scary Movie, uh, which we all know later became the name of the spoof franchise uh, that made fun of all things horror movies, uh, specifically Scream. Uh, so Kevin Williamson wrote the script uh, titled Scary Movie that we now know as Scream. Uh, he actually wrote the script uh he was watching news one time at his house and they were talking about the gainesville florida ripper Ooh. yeah so yeah um so scream is very loosely based on a true story uh kevin yeah uh kevin williamson was watching tv at his house one night and he was watching uh this news anchor talk about the Gainesville, Florida Ripper, who was murdering, uh, I believe it was college students, hmm. uh, over, over the course of, I believe it was three days, uh, he killed five people. Oh uh, he would, he would stalk them. He would dismember them and he Ugh. would also pose their bodies. Ugh. Yeah. Was... Yeah. Creepy. Yeah. He would pose their bodies. Uh, he would do it in front of mirrors, uh, whatever. Uh, yeah, so uh, this really freaked Kevin Williamson out, and he ended up calling a friend because he noticed a window in his house was open, and he swore that it had been shut prior to that. So he was creeped out and thought there was a killer in his house. Uh, so over the next three days, he actually wrote uh, Scary Movie, Scream. Uh, yeah, so he wrote it in three days and then wrote a treatment to two sequels. 
uh, yeah, and obviously the rest is history. So yeah, I didn't know. Yeah, that. yeah. So um, uh, I I don't think so. Um, no, I think he just kind of went around and did his crazy stuff and you know. Stuff. Oh my god. Yeah, so I feel like when he when Kevin Williamson wrote the script, he kind of used uh, the the posing idea, uh, you know, by you know writing down Drew Barrymore's character Casey Becker hanging from a tree mm-hmm. uh, and things like that. So um, I think they also mentioned Principal Hembry's body uh, hanging at the goalposts on the football field, which we don't see. But yeah. R.I.P. Henry Winkler. <sighs> R.I.P. The Fonz. All right. Oh, <laughs> Hey. <laughs> um, yeah, so that was Kevin Williamson's first script. It started a huge um, selling thing in Hollywood where every studio basically wanted to buy the script from him. He ended up settling for Dimension Films, uh, which is a, um, a sub film company of Disney, actually. Um, Dimension Films was newer. So Kevin Williamson wanted to sell to them because he thought the film actually had a chance of getting made as opposed to going to a bigger studio like Paramount or Warner Brothers, where he was afraid the film would get stuck in some kind of limbo. Yeah. So he took he took the cheapest offer and it was uh, he got four hundred thousand dollars for it. So, yeah, I want to write a script to make <laughs> four hundred thousand. That's like not a lot, right? Um, I mean, it just. It just depends. I mean, I definitely think for that time and for being a first-time writer, that was still really a really good offer. Uh, but apparently, that was the lowest offer. So um, I thought it was kind of cool that he he kind of went and took the lowest offer to make sure that his vision was made. Um, I think they said that he was really passionate about the project. So yeah, you need to write a movie. <laughs> hey, I'll take that money. <laughs> I'll sell to the lowest for four hundred thousand dollars too. Um, all right, Lauren. So um, I have you here today because you had never seen Scream before, and you also don't like scary movies. Uh-uh. So, oh, so uh, <laughs> you know, Scream is one of the movies I talk about all the time. All my friends know it. It's probably one of my favorite movies of all time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I could talk about it for hours, which is why I'm doing this podcast. And I've always said, "Hey, Lauren, you should watch scary movies," or "Hey, yeah. Lauren, you should watch Scream." For years, yes. For Four years. years. Four years. Um, and finally, you gave in. Uh, what was that last year? Uh, yeah, I think it was last year. Um, and I think I asked you like, what is like the one that's not going to freak me out the most? <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. No, best uh, one to start with. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's funny because I think I referred to Scream to you as like a gateway, gateway uh, yeah. horror film. Yeah, so it's kind of a. I think Scream, um, how I kind of sold it to you was, you know, Scream is defined as a horror film, uh, but I feel like it kind of covers a lot of different types of genres. There's always um, obviously some comedy in there. Um, There's a lot of references to films that make you feel like you're watching, you know, real life people talking about real life things. Um, You know, uh, it's loosely based on that Gainesville Ripper murder. So um, it kind of feels... Yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely do. It's a, uh, so it kind of plays out like a murder mystery in a way. Um, and I think that was a good sell to you since you like crime shows, mm-hmm. things like that. So yeah, cool. Um, all right. So before you watched yeah. Scream, uh, before you fully gave in to actually hitting play, 
what yeah. were what were your initial thoughts about the movie? Well, I'm going to be honest. I feel like I couldn't tell the difference between Scream and Scary Movie, like in my mind, because I'd never seen them both. Yeah. I thought like characters from Scary Movie were in Scream and vice versa. So I was like, because <laughs> I've only ever like seen like clips, I'd say. Sure. Yeah. Um, obviously, Drew Barrymore with the iconic blonde bob. That kind of stuck in my head, but I really didn't know anything about it at all. Uh, it's actually funny that you mentioned that you kind of got Scream and Scary Movie confused um, because I do feel like that's something that um, happens with a lot of people who haven't really seen either movie or even sometimes people who have, but they're not really fully invested. Uh, they do think that they are basically the same film or in the mm -hmm. same universe franchise. And uh you know, unfortunately, that always made me super sad. I'm like, no, I'm sorry. no, it's fine. And that's, I mean, you know, kudos to Scary Movie for doing such a good job. Um, I mean, I loved Scary Movie. Uh, the first two are, I think they're fantastically fun uh, films. I think they do a great job of, you know, really spoofing these movies and like the way that while we're watching them, we're like, oh, yeah, I actually thought the same thing when I saw that. Uh, they really play into a lot of aspects. Um, but I think the great thing about Scream is Scream kind of did the same thing the Scary Movie did, uh, but they made it uh, more realistic. Um, obviously, it didn't rely heavily on the humor. Um, it was just kind of a bunch of movie-loving you know, teenagers that kind of find themselves stuck in a real-life movie. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, I love that. But... Yeah, so before you watched it, you kind of thought they were the same movie. Uh, you remembered. Like, yeah, actors are, you know, because I know, like, Anna Ferris, I think, is a scary movie, right? Yeah, yep. So yep. I, for some reason, I'm like, oh, I'm going to see Anna Ferris. <laughs> yeah, you're like, where is she <laughs> at? You're almost done with the movie. I know it. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, well, now you can say that you know the difference. Have you watched I, Scary Movie, though? I have not. Mm -mm. Okay. I think uh, that's my next thing. Yeah, you should. It's uh, like I said, it's actually really creative. Um, I will suggest that you probably watch a lot of movies <laughs> uh, around that time uh, from, you know, 1995 to 2000-ish. They kind of cover a lot of a lot of those movies. Um, but I think you'll still get the references a lot because it follows the same storyline as Scream and then just adds a bunch of other movies into it. So, yeah, I need awesome. to make a list. <laughs> yeah, I'll just have you on every episode. This ended up just being a me and you show. Um, so you remembered uh, Drew Barrymore's character, Casey Becker. Um, did you remember anything else from promos or people talking about it? Like, you didn't know who the killers were when you watched it, right? Oh or did God. you? I had no idea. So I was on like a roller coaster the whole time. But <laughs> watching it the second time, I'm like, oh, I should have caught that. Or, oh, I should have, you know? Absolutely. Yeah, it's a. Uh, I actually loved that because I kind of remembered that you told me you didn't know who the killers were, yeah. but I wanted to make sure before we talked about it. I, uh, I love that, you know, Scream came out in 1996. Um, and, you know, after all these years, you still didn't know who the killers were. And I think that's awesome. So I think that you went into the film experiencing it, experiencing it just like people did uh, back in 1996. So, um it's when fun. You, and I have a question for you. When did yeah. you see it? Did you see it when it came out? Or were you young? I was young. Yeah. So Scream came to theaters uh, right before Christmas in 1996. Um, 
it was in theaters for eight months. Uh-huh. So I saw I saw when it came to video. So it was probably the summer of 97. So I was nine years old. Or nine. Yeah. I was nine. Yeah. Uh, I, you know, I kind of remember my parents were upstairs. I was in my basement. Uh, they knew that I had rented screen. My parents are always really cool with me watching uh, scary movies. They trusted me. I was, you know, uh, not going to go crazy like some of these people in these films do. <laughs> but, uh, you know, they put they put trust in me. I liked movies a lot. Um, you know, they knew there wasn't anything other than the violence. There wasn't anything super, you know, sexually explicit or anything that was in the film. Mm-hmm. So um, I was down in the basement and... I had it on. I was watching it. My parents were upstairs. I feel like they were watching like a football game or some sort of sports and they were screaming and yelling and I kept turning the volume up louder and uh, because I liked movies so much, I I really, I felt like I was a part of this group of friends. Like I was kind of the Randy, um, you know, I was nine years old. Yeah. So uh, Dave is Randy. <laughs> Dave is Randy. Yeah. yeah. Watching the movie now, sometimes I watch it. And I'm like, oh my God, he's so annoying. I'm like, this is how people view me. Cool. But no, no, but I, I love Randy. I think he's a great character and I 1000% relate to him. And uh, we can, yeah, we could definitely talk about that more later. So yeah, I was, I was nine years old and then Scream 2 came out. Uh, I don't know what month it came out, but it came out really late in 97. Um, so I actually saw Scream 2 in theaters with my aunt. So I was probably still nine or 10 years old when I saw it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I got home from the theater and my parents weren't home at the time. They were on their way or whatever. So I was going to be home alone for like a half hour. And my aunt knew this. So when she got home, she called my, my landline and it was, it was a blocked number and I answered it oh, and she, you know, trying to do her best ghost face. She's like, what's your favorite scary movie? Oh. And I was, you know, I was at first, I'm kind of like, oh, this is a joke. And then at the same time, I kind of like looked around. And I'm like, wait, <laughs> wait a minute. I can't believe she but, did that. Yeah, we, she loves horror movies. And she's actually uh, one of the reasons why I really love horror movies, too. Um, she always introduced me to them. Uh, my other aunt as well also introduced me to some movies around that time. So I definitely give a lot of credit to them for opening up the the film world for me um and specifically horror movies but yeah so that's that um watch and scream watch and scream and i've seen it probably nine thousand times since then (laughs) (laughs) um i actually so i saw all the scream movies in theaters um except for the original scream up until uh covid uh there was actually a theater in pittsburgh that was playing it for its anniversary um and zach my fiance as you know uh he and i went to go see it in theaters and it was my first time and his first time seeing it on the big screen so that was really cool that's awesome yeah um okay so getting into the film uh obviously the movie starts off with uh drew barrymore as casey becker uh she at the time the marketing for the film was this new horror film from Wes Craven, who was already established filmmaker, um, starring Drew Barrymore, who obviously was a very well-established actress at the time. Uh, so in the trailer, they actually played it off that uh, Drew Barrymore was a main character. Mm-hmm. So when audiences watch this movie, uh, Drew Barrymore actually, spoiler alert, dies 
uh, within the first 13 minutes of the movie. Uh, and this just really set the tone for what the audience was about to watch. Um, this wasn't your regular horror film. Mm-hmm. It kind of took the, you know, the America's sweetheart and killed her right, yeah. right away. So I remember you telling me that, and that's like really smart because I'm like so naive. I'd be like, "Oh, Drew Barrymore's in the whole thing." <laughs> yeah, you were you were the person they were marketing to for sure. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> so. What did you think of the opening scene of Scream? It's iconic. Everyone talks about it to this day. Um, How'd you feel about it? Well, when I think of, when I thought of Scream, I would think of like that. But um, I'm just like, why are they so nice on the phone? (laughs) I was like, (laughs) girl, hang up the phone. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, she, uh, you know, she pretty much says, um, you know, she kind of starts off the conversation a little flirty with uh, the guy on the other line. Yeah, I was um, like, oh my God. And then she didn't even tell that she had a boyfriend. And mm-hmm. oh. Yeah, so that I thought, you know, that's, it kind of starts off that way. Uh, one thing I actually noticed on a rewatch, because I feel like I notice things every time I rewatch this, but there's no music for the first three minutes of the movie. Uh, it purely relies on the complete silence of the house, of the outside, uh, really showing you that she is alone in the house. Um, yeah, I thought that was kind of cool. It doesn't, the music doesn't kick in until, you know, he says, because I want to know who I'm looking at. Oh, that line. Oh, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, God. <laughs> yeah, that, uh, you know, this whole, the whole sequence, the whole opening sequence, uh, that conversation, um, like you said, she kind of starts off a little flirty. Um, Whenever he calls back, she's a little annoyed, but still just kind of like, all right, cool. Someone fun to chit chat with for a couple of minutes. He then starts to talk about movies when she mentions that she's making popcorn and she names her favorite horror movie um, when he asks. And that movie is Halloween. Have you ever seen Halloween? never seen halloween and on a side note i was very concerned about the jiffy pop the, the entire time when it got on fire oh I, like, I know oh god yeah pay so attention cool. to your popcorn <laughs> yeah and why isn't jiffy pop a thing anymore uh it should be so actually when scream 5 came out they actually released limited edition jiffy pops with scream's logo on it uh and you cool. best yeah you best believe i bought some did you use it or is it just saved somewhere in like your memorabilia? Uh, I should have saved it, but I think uh, we had a bunch of people over to go see the new screen movie. So we made the Jiffy Pop and took a bunch of pictures. Aww. Yeah, cute. nerds. <laughs> yeah, I just like the whole time I'm like, why aren't you calling the cops? Um, why yeah. is so... she doing to entertain this guy? I don't know. I was like, girl. 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 <laughs> Girl, so so then he reveals, hey, um, you know, I want to know who I'm looking at. She kind of stops. Uh, she thinks to herself, okay, is this guy for real? Obviously, someone's playing around with me. They're playing a joke. They know I'm home alone. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, the Jiffy Pop starts getting a little, a lot bigger. Uh, the phone rings again. And now I think she kind of realizes, like, all right, I'm a little scared. This is getting a little bit too real for me. Mm-hmm. Um, he says, I told you not to hang up on me. Um, she asked him to dial somebody else and 
then the phone rings again. Mm-hmm. And eventually he, you know, basically says something along the lines of, uh, I'll gut you like a fish, understand? Yeah, that was, and then, ugh. Yeah, that's the, that's the big turning point. Uh, during the filming of this, Drew Barrymore uh, never met uh, the gentleman who does uh, the voice of Ghostface. Okay. Um, yeah, so his name is Roger Jackson. Mm-hmm. He he was actually on set, uh, but he was hidden. So instead of using a dubbed voiceover, uh, you know, basically instead of instead of having someone in in the room saying, "I'll gut you like a fish," understand, and then yeah. you know the actress reacts to it, they actually had Roger Jackson off to the side, hidden away, but the actors could actually hear his voice. Uh, but Drew Barrymore had no idea what he looked like, so he was actually an ominous character that she was hearing say these things to her. Um, cool. Yeah, yeah. And Wes Craven wanted Drew Barrymore to be uh, authentically scared. Um, Drew Barrymore is a big animal rights activist, and before they started filming, she told Wes a story about a news article she read about a dog being burnt alive. Oh, so every time he wanted her to be, uh, you know, genuinely upset or crying, he would, before the take, tell her, remind her about the story or say things along the lines of like, I have the lighter in my hand, Drew. I have the lighter in my hand. And it would make her very upset. Yeah. So he expected the most from his, from his people. And that was one of his tactics. So, you know, hearing the story that, you know, made her upset, and then also having this creepy character saying, I'm going to gut you like a fish. Yeah, Uh, yeah. so she was scared. Uh (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, that's terrifying. I can't believe, like, he would do that. (laughs) I know, he's so mean. Uh, But, but, hey, uh, he got got the most from Drew in these. uh, It took five five days to film this scene, Mm -hmm. so... They did it all in one, not well, not all in one take, but they filmed the entire 13 minute minute sequence together in those five days. So, uh, yeah, tell me a little bit more about your reaction to this whole this whole sequence. Um, I, yeah, I, I don't know. There's one point where she's like running to a, a car. Do you know what I'm talking about? And she just stops, yeah. and I'm like, why did you stop running? <laughs> so. No, I totally, I totally know what you mean. Uh, so it's actually her parents who are pulling into the driveway. Oh, that's right, her parents. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So when the killer finally breaks into the house, and you know they do a couple shots of him running through the house, she's doing this really great thing where she's trying to hide. She's being as quiet as possible. She kind of keeps looking over her shoulder through windows, through door cracks, and making sure that the killer is not still after her. Mm-hmm. And then at one point she looks up through the window and Ghostface is right there, right in front of her. He smashes the window open and tries to grab her. She ends up uh, hitting him with the phone, which kind of knocks him knocks him over for a second. Uh, he ends up coming outside with her and he stabs her in the chest. Uh, yeah, he throws her to the ground. Uh, she ends up kicking him. Uh, which causes him to fall backwards. And as he's collecting himself, we see her parents pulling into the driveway, uh, you know, not too far away from her either. 
and she's you know still stunned from falling and being grabbed and and obviously being stabbed as well so she um she goes to try to scream for her parents uh i think she says mom yeah but i'm assuming because of the stab wound um and just the overall fear and her being knocked over i feel like she wasn't able to fully collect herself because she was still in shock slash pain and she wasn't able to get the words out before ghostface comes back up behind her again pulls her back and starts you know stabbing her again i will say like the most heartbreaking the thing that stands out to me the most was her trying to scream for her mom and just mm-hmm. saying like when she couldn't get the words out and like cutting back and forth between him like stabbing her and then like her her mom like being like where is she like you know oh, mm-hmm. i wasn't expecting that so soon into the movie <laughs> yeah so so here you have uh one of hollywood's biggest actresses uh you know literally being stabbed uh right in front of us on screen and her you know the character's parents are home they see that there's a fire in the kitchen. Thankfully, the mom throws the Jiffy Pop into the sink with the water, so we're good there. Uh, we prevented that. Yes. Yeah, we prevented the we prevented the fire, uh, and it's then that they go to try to call the cops. Uh, the dad also says, um, "Go down to the McKenzies," which we're assuming would be the neighbors to them. Uh, fun fact, fun little Easter egg. Uh, this movie has a lot of nods to the original Halloween. Uh, it's one of Kevin Williamson's favorite movies, and Did the McKenzies. You? you can't hear me. Am I gone? I couldn't for like two seconds. Okay, we'll go back a little bit. Okay. Uh, yeah. So the dad goes to tell the mom, uh, you know, drive down the street, go to the McKenzies, and a fun fact is that is actually a nod to the original Halloween, which is Kevin Williamson's favorite movie. Uh, Lori Strode, played by Jamie Lee Curtis, mm-hmm. uh, towards the end of the film, actually tells the kids that she's babysitting to go ahead and run down to the McKenzie's to get help. Okay. So, yeah, so Kevin Williamson views that as a little nod to the uh, to his favorite movie. And yeah, Wes thought that was a great idea, so he kept that line in there. And then the mom opens up the door to reveal her daughter hung up by the strings of the though i'm sorry hung by the rope of the swing that is outside of their house in the very beginning of the film i did okay so that was another thing i'm like this swing is gonna come back somehow (laughs) like the creaking swing i did not even realize that yeah so they just you know the killer found a way to slice through barry more open you know all of her internal organs decided to spew out as they were hanging her up from the tree just like the swing was at the beginning with the same rope and we forgot to mention steve oh steve, steve. poor steve poor steve yeah he's uh too. yeah there was just a, a big gut fest Ugh. so uh steve is big and he plays football and he'll kick the shit out of you that's the one thing that we know about steve based on uh drew barrymore's character's casey telling Ghostface that her boyfriend is on his way and Ghostface obviously has already gotten to Steve, has tied him up outside. And because Drew's character, Casey, could not answer the question, who was the original killer in Friday the 13th? Did you know that answer, Lauren? 
do you think I knew that answer? <laughs> uh, so no, I do not. Uh, but actually, it's really clever in the writing because that is a common uh, mistake people make. So Friday the 13th was a huge horror movie franchise that started in the 80s. Mm-hmm. And what a lot of people forget uh, or don't really think about is the very first Friday the 13th, Jason is only talked about as a kid who died um, at a camp because the camp counselors neglected to watch him while they were doing drugs and having sex. So the mother of Jason decides to come and start killing off camp counselors uh, to seek revenge for forgetting about Jason, who actually died in the lake at the camp. So Jason doesn't show up as a killer until the sequel. So. Yeah, but I don't want to give away the second movie. (laughs) Uh, Hey, we'll 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 get to that when we you know obviously do another episode and we'll do Scream Two and we'll talk about all that fun stuff. Uh, But for anyone listening that knows what Lauren is referencing, (laughs) uh, that is actually a great that's a great you know way to connect the two films and to bring Friday the Thirteenth back into question uh, because Jason's mother, uh, Mrs. Voorhees, was the original killer in the first one. So if Casey Becker would have gotten that right, Steve Orif would still be alive. And I don't think he'd actually still be alive, though. <laughs> you know what? You're right. <laughs> Ghostface is ruthless. There would have been another silly question. that ruthless. <laughs> <laughs> Savage. Savage. Um, cool. Yeah. Do you have anything to say about the first 13 minutes of Scream? Yeah, just like just the, the parents scene just like absolutely shocked me. And I was like, what did I just watch? I cannot believe this was like the first 10 minutes of this movie. What the heck is going to happen now? Yeah. And I love that you mentioned the parents coming home because I feel like in a lot of horror films, it basically was, here's a pretty girl. She's on the phone. She gets murdered. The end. Yeah. Uh, I think it brought a, you know, uh, a human characteristic to Casey and obviously her parents that, you know, this was something that was really happening and, you know, the murder slash death is going to affect a lot of people, of course. And I thought it was interesting that uh, Kevin Williamson and Wes Craven decided to keep that little storyline going. And here are her parents. This is their reaction. Um, yeah. So perfect. Uh, after the opening scene, we cut to Sydney Prescott, played by Nev Campbell, who at the time was really popular for her role. Um, on Party of Five, did you were you familiar with Party of Five? Familiar, never watched it. Okay, cool. Is it like um, friends? You're like, how? Dare no, you? so Party. <laughs> how how dare you? This is uh, this is ridiculous. You? We're gonna have to do a whole separate podcast watching Party of Five <laughs> together. Um, no, Party of Five is actually uh, a really popular Fox drama show. Um, the story centered around the idea. Um, the the story centered around the idea of five siblings whose parents died in a car accident by getting killed by a drunk driver. Why did I know it's all... like a sitcom? Oh no, it's oh, no, no, it's very uh, it's like nine hundred two one zero dramatic. Uh, I mean, they had like the super dramatic music. Um, yeah. They had you know some deep storylines, um, but basically their parents owned a restaurant. So the Salinger, which is their last name, Salingers. The kids would get together and go to their parents' restaurant every Sunday, I believe it was, and they would be the party of five. Um, Jay, yeah. That's, that's heartbreaking, <laughs> and I cannot believe I thought it was a sitcom. 
embarrassing. <laughs> I can't wait for you to reach out to me and tell me that you're starting to watch Party of Five. <laughs> <laughs> probably. Um, you, oh, you probably will. I think you'll like it. Um, it's like all right, so like I said, we're in the 90s or something. Oh, yeah. I, like I could do sadness of This Is Us. Oh, it, yeah, it definitely is. It has that. It has that same vibe to it. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. So, uh, Nev Campbell was really popular from that at the time. Uh, they actually had two other people considered for the role of Sydney. Uh, they were down to three. Nev Campbell being one of them. Uh, Alicia Witt being the other. Uh, the only thing I'm really familiar with her from. Uh, a year later, two years later, she was cast as the lead role in a slasher film that's similar to Scream called Urban Legend, which is also a really good, fun slasher whodunit. Yeah. Uh, so she obviously, lost, she obviously lost out to that. And then the, the number two in running was Brittany Murphy. Brittany. Yeah. Yeah, so Brittany Murphy wanted to, after the success of uh, Clueless, yeah. she started auditioning for a lot of films. She was obviously very sought after at the time. And they really liked her test screening for it. But Wes Craven ultimately went with Nev Campbell because he loved her work on Party of Five and felt that she uh, kind of carried that innocence um, that Kevin Williamson wrote Sydney to be in the script, that she's a tough girl. She's uh, also the girl next door as well. So yeah. uh, he thought, thought Nev Campbell really brought that. Uh, and then we're introduced to uh, Skeet Ulrich, who plays Billy Loomis. Uh, the name Loomis is actually also a nod to Halloween, uh, which is Michael Myers' doctor that we follow through the film uh, named Dr. Loomis. So uh, that's another fun little Halloween connection there. Uh, Skeet Ulrich was actually in a film prior to Scream with Nev Campbell. Oh. And that, that film was called The Craft. Did you ever see The Craft? Yes. Who was mm -hmm. he? Uh, he played the guy who uh, I'm pretty sure he was uh, obsessed with her. Uh, he's definitely one of the main guy characters. Uh, he's the one that's strapped to the bed towards the end of the film when it starts to get really, really dark and really crazy. I can't hear you again. <laughs> yeah, I think I, I think we broke up there for a second. Yeah. yeah. Uh, what, what's the last part you heard? Uh, he was the one who was obsessed with her and something. Yeah. Yeah. So he was the one that was obsessed with her. He ends up getting tied to the bed towards the end of the film by, uh, I believe her name, I believe the, I believe you say her name, Feruzia Bulk. Uh, she plays like the, the more of the bad witch who is obsessed with the dark side. Is she the um, guys? Yeah. 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 Yeah, so yeah, we'll definitely rewatch the craft. Uh, that's actually uh, Nev Campbell and Skeet Ulrich's first film together. Uh, Skeet Ulrich actually wanted to sign on to the film uh, because he knew that Nev Campbell was a part of it, and they got along really well. So, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cool. He, he's creepy. <laughs> he's creepy. Yeah, he he sneaks into her bedroom window, and uh, he basically talks about how he was watching The Exorcist on television. And it was edited for TV, uh, much like their relationship, because they are no longer having uh, sexual relations and have yeah. yet to go all the way. So, yeah. I know. Mm. I just was like, I immediately, even the first time I watched it, was like, hmm, 
about him, you know? Like, mm-hmm. something's, not, something's not adding up with him. <laughs> yeah, he, they do a really good job in the script and filming uh, to make him seem like the prime suspect, but also always throwing us off. Like so, yeah. yeah, which I think is, which I think is great. Uh, I think it makes the film really fun. And like you said, rewatching the film, you start picking up on little things like, I mean, there's been, there's a lot of times in the movie where they literally tell us that these guys are the killers and you just don't pick up on it. You don't pick up on it. <laughs> uh, yeah. We find out her dad's going on a trip. So she's going to be home alone for a couple of days. Uh, he doesn't know that Billy's in the room. Which, uh, he ends up going to. S- I have a comment on that. So yeah. Yeah. Going comment away, and it's not revealed yet that her mother passed away. Why is he going away on the first anniversary of her? Why wouldn't he be with his daughter? (laughs) It's actually funny you say that. I never really thought about it that way. Um, Yeah. yeah, So looking at it from that aspect, uh, it is kind of rude of him. But later on in the film, there's a scene in the bathroom at the high school uh, with two cheerleaders talking about Sydney. And they're talking about how, you know, he her mom was a slut uh that her dad was always away on business trips um yeah tatum also tatum is sydney's best friend also mentions how her her dad is always out of town which is why they suspect there might have been some affair happening uh so we do know that he's always out of town it might be something that he's not able to uh not not do so it's definitely unfortunate that it was the same within the same couple of days as the anniversary of his wife's death. But yeah, I never really thought about it that way. So it's definitely rude of him, but <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think this also sets up the fact that uh, her dad could be a possible suspect as well throughout the film, because uh, a couple of times throughout, they ask, you know, where's Sydney's dad? What's Sydney's dad doing? Oh, he's out of town. And we as the audience are like, is he really out of town? Do you think he's actually doing this? So um, that adds a little layer there as well. Yeah. I never once thought he was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I feel like Neil Prescott is a, a very innocent man who just <laughs> loves his family, right. which is his wife wasn't dead and has to go on a business trip. Yeah. I, I yeah. don't think I considered him for a second. Good. Hey, Neil did his job then. We, you yeah. saw him as the innocent man. Good old Neil. <laughs> Good old Neil. Good old Neil. Uh, yeah, so then we see um, Billy's still in the room. Uh, they talk about how, you know, they were hot and heavy for a while. They haven't been much recently. Uh, he doesn't know why. Uh, she's kind of shut down a little bit. Obviously, we end up finding out about her mother. So, you know, it might just be an awkward time for her, a lot on her mind. Yeah. And um, he leaves. And, you know, she gives him a little sneak peek through her her nightgown of what she has to offer in the future. Um, And he says that she's such a tease and that's it. That's our introduction to these two characters. Uh, And then we're, we're introduced to the school Woodsboro high school. We meet Tatum played by Rose McGowan. Mm -hmm. Uh, She had some small roles prior to scream, but she wasn't really a huge name at the time. Uh, But she definitely, she was definitely perfect for the role, I believe. Uh, she was written to be a tomboy in the script. Hmm. Yeah, she didn't like that aspect of it. She actually chose her own wardrobe as well because she didn't like what 
um, the costume designer was giving her. Uh, they were feeding into the tomboy things a little bit too much. Yeah. So she went, she went and got her own clothes. I think I don't know if they were her own or went and bought her own, but she was like, "This is what I'm going to wear." And I also feel like her outfits are slightly iconic. That skirt she wears at one point in time with the kind of like a tie dye pattern on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I see that brought up a lot. When she, yeah. Uh... yeah, when she, yeah. <laughs> No getting out of there. Oh, God. Yeah. Was she uh, charmed yet or no? Probably uh, not. No, not yet. Okay. Yeah, not yet. Uh, but obviously screamed open a lot of doors for all of these actors. Mm-hmm. So um, a lot of them were already established, which was kind of cool. Uh, and then the ones who weren't fully established definitely went on to get in some great roles as well. Yeah. Um, here we just kind of learned of their friendship. Uh, we also then go into a classroom where the cops are – Currently interviewing people, uh, asking them if they know anything about the murder that had just happened. Uh, Casey Becker and her boyfriend, Steve, were brutally murdered. And uh, we find out that this area, this town, hasn't been as shocked uh, since uh, almost a year ago when Sidney Prescott's mother was brutally murdered. There we kind of learn a little bit of the background there. Uh, kind of see why Sydney's damaged a little bit and maybe shut down with Billy. So um, we're also introduced to Dewey Riley, uh, played by David. Yeah, good old David Arquette. He he was actually in the Buffy the Vampire Slayer movie uh, that came out in 1992, which wasn't popular when it first came out, but definitely got some cult following over time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he was on a couple of TV, epi- TV episodes and uh, Scream definitely really launched his career as well. He he was written as a, a a studly older man, but was obviously you know um, you know not taking anything away from David. Yeah, yeah. So not taking any way th- anything away from David Arquette, but he kind of approached the role um, in kind of a, a goofy manner, and yeah. you know he he was I mean. He was charming. We'll also get more into his character later. Um, we'll talk about what the original plan was for him. But uh, we learned that Dewey is Tatum's brother, and the sheriff is played. Um, the sheriff is played by Joseph Whip, who was also a cop in A Nightmare on Elm Street, the very first Freddy Krueger movie. Yeah, so Wes Craven directed that. Uh, really liked his acting in there. Thought it'd be fun to bring him back as a cop again. Mm-hmm. I would just cool. Say Anything to say about? I, yeah. So I just was like, why are they not more shocked that their fellow people were murdered, like their fellow classmates? <laughs> you know what I mean? Um. Yeah, that's you know that's that's a good question. Why I do feel like that kind of falls. <laughs> Yeah, let, let's have school. You guys are fine, and then we'll <laughs> we'll sit here and pull out reporters onto campus. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I mean it's very true. They they're definitely late to the game in canceling school. So uh, it's kind of weird that they do use the school as a way to interview people to see if they knew anything about uh, the people who were murdered. Um, yeah, um, we're also introduced to Henry Winkler, yeah. who was the Fawns in Happy oh, Days. Um... The Fonz, were you? Uh, I actually did. Um, 
I didn't watch it religiously or anything. It's not a show that I've really ever really gone back to, but it's definitely an iconic show and I appreciate it 100%. I loved it. You loved it? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Did you did you know that Henry Winkler was in Scream? I didn't. No, I was when I saw him, I was like, "Oh, it's Henry. I love him so much." <laughs> I just think of him and like it's there's Henry. this one episode in Happy Days when he's like surfing or something and he has like his leather jacket on while he's surfing he's like hey is that is that not the attire that you wear when you surf yeah well for me maybe i don't know (laughs) (laughs) that'd be me too i'd wear a nice leather jacket (laughs) um the next very happily surprised that he was in this movie oh good uh he sticks around for a little bit that's for sure just a little not long enough enough. uh we then cut to our main group of teenage characters our main characters we are at a fountain at the school which is a nice nice little fountain a cool little hangout um there is billy and sydney and tatum and we're also introduced to one of their friends who is also tatum's boyfriend Stu Mocker, played by Matthew Lillard. Nope, nope, nope. Uh, <laughs> Matt, Matthew Lillard. No, you're good. Oh, uh, Matthew God. Lillard. Yeah, I, like, I love the sounds. <laughs> uh, Matthew Lillard was in a movie called Serial Mom. He was also in a movie called Mad Love with Drew Barrymore. Hmm. Um, and he was also in an Angelina Jolie film called Hackers. So he... He was moderately established at the time. Um, I read that he kind of got the role as Stu on a fluke. Uh, They thought that he brought some silliness to the character, which kind of brought life to what Kevin Williamson originally wrote. Kevin Williamson credits Matthew Lillard for uh, credits Matthew Lillard for not being so one dimensional, uh, which I think is pretty cool. So Matthew Lillard really, took the role, put it in his own hands, and made the character his own. Uh, we're also introduced to Randy Meeks, uh, Randy. played by Randy, my man, played by played by Jamie Kennedy, yes. who had a couple TV roles at the time, uh, was probably most popular from uh, Romeo and Juliet, starring Leonardo DiCaprio and Claire Danes. You know, I've never uh, seen that. Really? Oh, that's a good film. It's It's actually one of my favorites. It's it's different because it's actually, you know, their dialogue is actually in the Shakespearean type dialogue. So um, kind of stays authentic to the story. Um, I don't know why. I was like obsessed with Leo, like everybody back in the day. <laughs> and I don't know why I haven't. So well, weird. hey, definitely, definitely check it out. It was uh, before Jamie Kennedy became Randy Meeks. I can't see him being in uh, Romeo and Juliet. He definitely he definitely plays a different type of character, that's for sure. Is he like the comic <laughs> relief in that? No, he's actually very serious, kind of what? more on like a yeah, like a a gangster side. Mm, wow, interesting. Yeah, huh. yeah. Um, so here the kids are kind of talking about what just happened. Uh, we find out that Stu used to date Casey Becker. Um, he says it was only for like a minute. Um, they talk about how. They talk about who possibly could be a killer. Uh, they kind of point fingers at one another, uh, more specifically Billy and Stu, kind of like 
I didn't kill them. And, you know, Billy says, well, no one said you did. Uh, you know, again, spoiler alert for the ending of the film, uh, Billy and Stu are actually the killers. So it's funny that they actually had that banter because Billy almost has a look on his face like, why are you giving it away? Yeah. Because he also talks about how Casey was probably killed with the butcher knife. Um, but I really like the scene. I think it establishes all the characters really well, kind of sets the tone for um, how all of them interact with one another and definitely sets everyone up with the idea that everyone's a subject. Uh, everyone's a suspect. I thought it was interesting. So, that was pretty cool. They like immediately started pointing fingers at each other, and yeah, I I just felt like they should have all been far more distressed than they were. <laughs> I agree. Better. I agree. <laughs> yeah, I feel like uh, you know the world that we live in now as well. I hate saying this, but I do feel like you know something really tragic happens in a town, and somehow it becomes this big spectacle. It becomes TikTok videos about how, you know, I knew this girl and, you know, rewatching Scream as many times as I have, uh, I've, you know, I've noticed that it kind of stays current uh, in, in terms of that, because like you said, school wasn't canceled. Uh, there's newscasters everywhere. Yeah. And uh, they're just kind of making this, you know, the newscasters are, making it all about, you know, this is the new story that I'm going to be focusing on. The kids are kind of laughing about it. You know, like I, I knew her, she sat next to me in English class, but doesn't really affect me. I used to date her, but it wasn't for long. Right. So, you know, but someone lost their lives. And I, I feel like that goes back to the beginning too, with her parents where, you know, these murders really do affect people. Yeah. So I just was like, yeah. kids should be far more distressed and Stu is the worst of them with it. Stu is definitely the worst. The sexist asshole. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's definitely definitely something that a lot of people have pointed out over time. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah. uh, Anything about any of the characters that we were just introduced to? Um, You know, I always, like, thought of Jamie Kennedy as annoying but he's so endearing in this movie i Mm. when i saw his face i'm like oh man you know not him right but it ended up being stew that i was like well you know (laughs) do you plays do you feel stew plays the asshole very well yes 100 percent. yeah he he's that that comedic the comedic aspect um is you know, it, it's sarcastic. And like you said, it's borderline definitely just being an asshole. Yeah. Um, which we'll definitely get more into later once the reveal happens and how I think that actually plays well into it. Um, yeah. So I have one more note on it. It yeah, was, yeah. why aren't her friends more supportive of, of Sydney, especially with what happened to her mom? Like, do you know what I mean? Why aren't they, they're talking about it like it's like joking, laughing, you know, whatever. And here's Sydney, like, holy crap, like this, this has to hit her hard. And why aren't they being more supportive of her? This is me being like, (laughs) 
No, you're good. I, more that's supportive. What, that's why this is called the reaction shot. I want to, you know, I want to know everyone's reaction because uh, that's a good, that's a good angle to play a good thing to ask about because yeah, her mom was brutally murdered um, yeah. almost one year to yeah. the time that this is all playing out. Not that and long ago. she's, she's yeah. clearly still grieving. <laughs> and the, the thing about, Nev Campbell's acting is, you know, if you're watching this scene, she is rather quiet. She is a little bit more, more reserved. The banter is more between everyone else and not so much her. Uh, I do think she, Nev Campbell plays the role that she's, you know, really thinking about all the stuff that's happening in front of her. I do think from some of the interactions prior uh, with them bringing Sydney into the office to interview her, if she knew Casey, um they kind of quiet up when they talk about you know she's the daughter of yeah. uh do we kind of do we kind of stops them in their tracks i feel like it's a very sensitive subject so uh my thought is they're just trying to not talk about it and maybe that's why the banter about what's happening at the moment is a little bit more on the silly side because they didn't really know this girl so why focus on the the sad negative aspect of it when we have our friend here who's hurting from the events that happened a year ago. I also feel like Sydney's just on a different maturity level than the other mm-hmm. ones. And she wants so badly to feel normal. She puts up with these mm-hmm. other, yeah. like these other crazy assholes. <laughs> no, that's, 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 that's no, that's no, that's actually a really good way to look at it too. Uh, yeah, she kind of puts up with all this, and um, she's definitely a lot more mature. She, I think she was forced to grow up really fast, uh, you know, with her mom being murdered, having to go on trial, uh, go up against the guy that was accused. Uh, his name was Cotton Weary. Yeah. Uh, you know, she had all the evidence that she needed and testified against him, and he got locked up. So I feel like that also weighed heavily on her and and her character. Um, yeah, for sure. Yep. And then we see Sydney go home. She has, you can see the outside of her house. It's really big. It's really nice. We all wish that we could live in a cool house like that. I will and, say the architecture is phenomenal. <laughs> oh, a hundred percent. Yeah. When I was a kid, I was like, wow, I want to live there. That's so cool. Um, so here, Sydney talks to Tatum on the phone. They're going to hang out for the night, have a little sleepover, try to get Sydney's mind uh and tatum's mind off of all the events that are happening tatum's being a nice friend saying i hope sydney doesn't remember you know not 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 remember but not think about you know what did transpire a year ago um so i think that was very nice of tatum uh to to mention that she's gonna come pick her up and they're gonna hang out and have a little girls night uh here while sydney's waiting for her she's watching television and all that's on the news is obviously everything about casey becker being murdered uh we also see uh the the wonderful gail weathers she is a she's a news reporter and you can just tell that she's all over the story uh with her big bright neon green pantsuit yeah um she really wanted to stand out on that on that camera she rocked she rocked it yeah uh obviously gail weathers is played by courtney cox who was also a very big name at the time from some little TV show uh, called Friends, what where 
yeah what is what is friends uh, maybe <laughs> we should start watching that show yeah ah oh, man um she played she on friends she plays monica geller who is um kind of the complete opposite of gail weathers gail yeah. weathers is uh fame hungry she's you know a go-getter she's cutthroat she doesn't care about other people's feelings and that is actually what attracted courtney cox to the role but oddly enough was also the one thing that kept the studios from wanting to hire her because of her role on friends mm. so she really had to uh sell herself to to play that bitchy role and uh obviously she got it yeah how long had friends been on the air at this point uh friends premiered in september of 94 so i think they were in their second season or just finished season two when she started filming scream so yeah so she was already like famous yeah 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 friends was popular in season one but when season two started friends really 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 took off and became like this phenomenon Mm -hmm. so this was definitely a like like a very strong beginning peak time for Courtney Cox. Courtney Cox was also um, in Ace Ventura Pet Detective, I've which <laughs> I feel like every time someone... you bring up, I'm like, I've never seen it. <laughs> I'm gonna make notes and uh, I'm gonna write down all of these movies that we need to, need to have you watch. I'm um, literally only allowed to watch a half hour of TV a day sometimes, so that was my life. <laughs> well. Well, the way I see it, you should have used those half hours to watch a half hour of Scream <laughs> each time just to to get through <laughs> to get through that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So Courtney Cox, Gail Weathers, um, she is on the television that Sydney's watching. She's talking about the current murders that happened, but also is talking about Maureen Prescott. Yeah. So now we really get a backstory to Sydney's mother, who um, was murdered a year ago. And uh, it's almost the anniversary of her death. Uh, she was raped and murdered not far from the town of Woodsboro that they live in. Uh, Sydney turns the television off. She's over it. She doesn't want to hear about all of this death anymore. Um, she wants to just forget about it all. She sees a picture of her mother and she's like, you know what? This is too much for me. I'm going to take a little nap until Tatum uh, gets here. And the phone eventually rings. She wakes up. It's now dark outside. Uh, Tatum said that practice ran late, but she will be on her way shortly. And uh, it is then that the phone rings again. And Sydney has a nice little phone call from an ominous voice on the other line. This is our second time hearing Ghostface in the film. Uh, he says, hello, Sydney. And Do the voice, Dave. Hello, Sydney. <laughs> it's that so was my, good. It's so good. That, that was my attempt. Roger Jackson, I hope you never listen to this podcast. <laughs> He'll be like, wow, what was that? Um, so here, the person on the other line, who we as the audience know that this is not a good thing, but Sydney's character thinks that this is actually Randy, yeah. uh, her friend, who is talking about movies on the other line. Um, she's like, you basically just gave yourself away, um, which I thought was kind of cool. So he says, you know, with all this stuff happening, kind of sounds like a horror movie or something. She's like, oh, Randy, you're so silly. You just gave yourself away. How dare you do that? Um, and then he goes on to say, you know, do you like scary movies, Sydney? Um, (laughs) 
she says something along the lines of like, I think what you're doing with your voice is sexy, Randy. Yeah. Uh, so it's kind of like that, that playful banter that we didn't really get from her at the fountain scene. We're now getting over while she's talking on the phone. So we know that we know that somewhere in there, uh, you know, Sydney is that goofy, goofy, fun, loving best friend uh, and not so shut down. Um, we Sydney then basically says like, I, I don't watch, I don't watch scary movies. I think they're all the same. Um, she says there, some stupid killer stalking some big breasted girl who can't act, who's always running up the stairs when she should be running out the front door. Mm-hmm. It's insulting. So um, that right there is like uh, a commentary that uh, kind of tells the audience like, okay, this character knows exactly what we feel when we watch horror movies. So we're expecting a lot of this stuff to kind of play out the same exact way. Mm-hmm. Um, he then reveals on the phone that he is not Randy and that he's standing outside her door. Uh, you know, she then asks, who are you? He says, the question is, the question isn't who am I? The question is, where am I? Okay. Uh, he then says, your, he then says your front porch. <laughs> How would you respond to that, Lauren? <laughs> I would fucking like, shit myself. <laughs> <laughs> excellent, excellent. <laughs> so, so you would be the person who so you would hang up the phone you'd be like i'm not doing with this the end um i as soon as i know it's not someone i know on the phone i'm like click Click. why do they stay on the phone with him for so long uh yeah well i I think at this point she she's kind of like okay maybe this isn't randy but maybe it still is and what i love about this scene is she feeds into it um you know, instead of Drew Barrymore kind of shutting down and being like, oh, man, there's somebody outside. Uh, the character of Sydney is basically like, uh, I'm going to call your bluff and I'm going to go out on the porch. Yeah. Yeah. I think I think Kevin Williamson introduced a final girl that was a little bit different than what we were used to or what we normally see with, um, at least at this time, women on screen, especially in horror films. Uh Kevin Williamson kind of wrote her as a a very um, intellectual person who didn't really back down from a fight. I mean, she, you know, she accused her mother's murder. She went to trial. She's still living her day to day. She's trying not to let it affect her uh, too, too much. And she's not going to put up with the bullshit. Yeah. And this phone call is kind of like, all right, you know, something bad just happened. I don't believe that this is a part of it. So I'm definitely going to call your bluff because a lot of people are feeding into this. Again, kind of like current times uh, in the world of TikTok and everything, people kind of make make fun of these things and make them, you know, trending. And, uh, you know, she's not going to give into that. She she hates it. And, you know, she she jokingly puts her finger in her nose and she says, well, what am I doing right now? What am I doing now? And yeah, what am I doing now? Uh, of course there's no reaction. She's like, nice try, Randy. Um, just hurry up. Okay. And Randy's a gem and a jewel and (laughs) little, he's never good. He would never, why do they think it's Randy? <laughs> so when I after you watched Scream and I called you on a block number, did you think it was me? Wait, when you do you remember that? Yeah, 
Yeah. Did, yeah. Did you think it was me? That freaked me out. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, yeah, did so, you call Zach too? Yeah. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Did he know it was Yeah, him? I Yeah. He he's like, you stop. <laughs> so like, whatever. Oh yeah. And then I texted you, I think, and I was like, Holy shit, Dave, you'll never guess what just happened to me. Yeah, and I was actually I was actually at work where you and I both worked together and I was like I was like, what do you mean? Like, I'm here. I don't know what you're talking about. And um, so I, I think I think we can look at it as she was thinking, OK, you know, in the same type of scenario, you were like, OK, this is Dave where she's like, all right, well, this is Randy. Like, shut up, hang up, leave me alone. This is silly. Um, but then he says, if you. Yeah, absolutely. And then he says, if you hang up on me, you'll die just like your mother. So that. um you know, the, the score gets real dramatic and we as an audience are like, okay, now Sydney knows that this is real. This is not Randy. And this guy is not going to hold back on what he says, what he does, whatever. Um, you know, her reaction to that, uh, you know, she's upset that it was said, uh, but also just kind of like, wow, I can't believe this is being said. So he then says, do you want to die tonight, Sydney? Your mother sure didn't. Uh, and you know, that's when she, she pauses for a second and, you know, watching the film back, uh, she's shocked. She's saddened that it's said, but it's almost like she becomes empowered that she's going to take control of the situation. Uh, she then says, fuck you, you cretin. Uh, cretin. What a, what a, what's a cretin? You, uh, I mean, have you ever heard that word before? I have, but I don't know what it means. Uh, I mean, I guess same. I, I feel like when I was younger, <laughs> I don't know if it came from Scream or what, but I feel like all of our friends would be like, ah, you're such a Creighton. And it would just be like, you're, I don't know, like a mean person or a messed up person or whatever. I I, I don't know. Uh, I guess I've never really looked into it, but I just, I love that that's a part of the dialogue. Mm-hmm. Like you Creighton. Um, that's the one thing I love about this film. And also all of Kevin Williamson's scripts, he has such a way of writing uh, that he does talk. Uh, the dialogue is a lot like, how teenagers talk at the time or how they, you know, they want to talk where like Dawson's Creek, which Kevin Williamson also created um, that came out a couple years later. He, you know, the characters on there use a lot of big words and, you know, a lot of people at the time were like, why are these teenagers using such big words? And it was just kind of like, you know, they were striving to be something better. Uh, so, you know, their vocabulary was just really good, but the way they carried the dialogue was just very reminiscent of what teenagers were like at the time. So I think it's funny that Cretan is actually a word that's used. Uh, and to this day, we're all just kind of like, well, well, I don't know what that is, but I love that it's there. I feel like 90s insults were <laughs> crazy. <laughs> yeah. Yep, you Cretan. Uh, we should just add Cretan back into our normal dialogue every day, I think. Today, so. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to change your name in my phone to Lauren Cretan Drake. That's fine. I'm, I'm cool, good perfect. That. I don't know what it means. That's what I'm going to call you. (laughs) Um, So Sydney's pissed now. She slams the door shut, hangs up the phone. There's a pause. And the next thing we know, the closet door right behind her opens up, revealing Ghostface, the same ominous character that we saw in the very beginning scene with uh, Casey Becker. Mm -hmm. Uh, Ghostface flies out of the closet, uh, fully dressed in the Ghostface outfit. He has the phone in his hand and he has also has a knife in his hand as well. He wrestles with Sydney 
and he goes to stab her. Doesn't work. She fights back, hits him in the head. Uh, she then tries to run out the front door, but the door is locked because she locked it. Therefore, she runs up the stairs, much like uh, the joke she made prior on the phone um, about the actress running up the stairs when she should have just run out the front door. Um, but as we don't think about when we're watching films, that, that sometimes the scenarios are the door is locked. And sometimes, you know, removing yourself from that situation uh, as quickly as possible means you're going to do the thing that we might not agree with as a viewer. Uh, she runs upstairs and she gets on her computer uh, while she blocks the door with her closet door, which I always thought was kind of cool. Her closet door opened up yeah, to a point where earlier when yes, Billy you're correct. Yeah. In the window and her dad knocked on the door. Mm -hmm. yeah. Also, that was really cool. I'm like, wow, what yeah. a great way to keep everyone out of my room. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so while Ghostface is trying to get into the room, she has the door blocked off enough to where uh, Ghostface cannot get in. She uses her computer and uses an app on her computer. I don't even know if you want to call it an app. I guess it would just be software. I was going to say, were apps invented back then? <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, okay, yeah. I guess we'll call it the software. The software. Um, That's a very 90s term. <laughs> it, was probably, it was probably a floppy disk, to be honest. <laughs> so... She tries using the, the, the landline, but the landline is being used because we're assuming that the phone that she was using, uh, you know, she didn't have time to hang it up. So it's still op an open line downstairs. So she cannot use the phone. She gets on her computer and opens the software uh, for a deaf typer mm -hmm. where she is entering the name or phone number to call, which is for 911. Mm -hmm. She lets them know that there's an emergency. The operator speaks back to her. We think all is well. Um, and then all of a sudden, Ghostface is gone. Uh, she's obviously happy in the moment. And then, boom, jump scare. Billy is now at her window again, crawling in, much like he did in the first scene we're introduced to him. Uh, he gives Sydney a big hug, promises her that he's gone, um, meaning Ghostface. And then a cell phone falls out of his pant pocket. So... We also see his boots, um, which I think is um, something that Wes Craven was like, okay, pay attention to these shoes. Uh, we're going to give away who the killer is. Um, at one point in time, we see Ghostface's boots. Uh, they do kind of match what Billy's wearing. Um, the cell phone obviously is, you know, kind of saying maybe Billy made this phone call. And uh, at the time, cell phones weren't obviously as prominent as they are now. We all have cell phones now. Back at this time, um, it was rare to have a cell phone, but it wasn't unheard of. Uh, teenagers at the time, I'm sure, probably didn't have cell phones, so it was probably weird to see him having one. Yeah. He promises that his dad let him have it. So at this point in time, were you like, wow, there's the killer, Billy Loomis? Yeah. Yeah, because like, all signs point to him. Mm -hmm. You know, like, how did he show up? So And then, like, the phone... It, it just makes sense. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It, uh... Okay, so we Sydney just got attacked. Uh, Dewey ends up showing up at her house while she's fleeing from Billy. Uh, he has the ghost face mask in his hand. Uh, she screams really loud. He screams. Um, kind of a silly little moment, but uh, I think that's definitely the character of Dewey as well. Uh, so he found the mask outside, which is why he's holding it. So now it really throws Billy to be a suspect. 
he claims he didn't do it. He gets arrested and uh, Tatum finally shows up after all of this time. Uh, and they Tatum and Dewey kind of have a little banter so we can kind of see their brotherly, sisterly banter there. Uh, and then Gail Weather shows up, uh, the same newscaster that was on the television talking about Marine Prescott. She right. wants to get an exclusive and everyone just kind of shuts her off. Uh, and she's pissed uh, that no one wants to speak to her. She then looks at her cameraman uh, and says, I know you're about 50 pounds overweight, but when I say hurry, please interpret that as move your fat tub of lard ass now. I literally wrote uh, down, Courtney Cox is harsh to poor cameraman Kenny. In my notes. <laughs> yeah. Poor yeah. Kenny. A hundred percent. Poor Kenny, man. He's just trying to do his job, and he wasn't there in time. <laughs> so here we go to the police station, and Gail Weathers followed them to the police station. She wants to make sure that she gets to talk to Sydney. She wants to talk about Maureen's death, but she also wants to talk about how she's now um, a part of this new investigation of who killed Casey Becker and Steve Forrest. And if there's any type of connection, she was just... Um, attacked quote-unquote attacked by her um the suspect billy who is her boyfriend who is currently in jail sydney's being talked to and then she's going to be let go to go to tatum's house to have their fun little girl night and upon leaving the you know the holding at the police station dewey's going to take them back they sneak out the back door and gail weathers meets them in the back uh the hair she confronts sydney and basically says that um, you know, she wants to interview her, try to figure out how she feels about everything that's happening. Sydney kind of gives in like, okay, I'll give you a little exclusive, uh, but you can kind of tell there's an ulterior motive. She asked Gail how the book is. Uh, here we find out that Gail is writing a book about Maureen's murder, which Sydney does not approve of. She's obviously looking to get some money off of the tragedy of Sydney's mother being raped and murdered. And Sydney actually ends up punching Gail Weathers in the face. Did you cheer her on in that moment? Fuck yes. Oh my <laughs> God. I loved it. Yeah. Loved it. Um, following up from that scene, uh, I really, really love when we're finally back at Tatum's house mm-hmm. and Sydney and her are laying on, on their two beds. And uh, Tatum says, God, I loved it. I'll send you a copy. Bam. Bitch went down. I'll send you a copy. Bam. Sid. Super bitch. Uh, It's funny because Zach and I kind of quote that from time to time. We always say that. Bam. Sid. Super bitch. I don't know why, but we just always do. Uh, Tatum's, uh, you know, Rose McGowan's delivery there as Tatum. uh, It's kind of goofy, but also like that, that hype best friend, like, yeah, Yeah. you just punched that girl in the face. Really gave it to her. I missed this, but did Kenny call Gail a bitch goddess? (laughs) <laughs> uh i, I know like, that's he... all i want to be referred to now on. <laughs> um i actually i'm not sure if that's if that's the case then yeah Wait, who wouldn't really? want to be called that because yeah he, um yeah it was like at the police station and i don't remember but he was like bitch goddess and like <laughs> i always have the captions on because i'm a freak so it said yeah. it and i was like oh my god what a great well hey 
way to describe someone and that's how I want to be described from now on. <laughs> so I should I should rename this episode to featuring Lauren Drake the bitch goddess. Yes. Okay, perfect. 100%. I'll get right on that. <laughs> um uh, one of the other things we forgot to mention was we discovered that um, at the police station, they have a ghost face costume that's actually being sold in stores all over, which I don't know if you or anyone else knows this, but the ghost face costume came out in the early 90s. Um, it was originally called Father Death, I believe. And um, it's as of now, I think, uh, don't 100% quote me on it, but I'm pretty sure to this day, it's the best-selling Halloween costume of all time. So, I lost you. Are you there? Yeah, but I missed everything you just said. <laughs> Very cool. Uh, costume. Yeah, so the Ghostface costume um, is actually originally, it came out in the early 90s. It was originally called Father Death. Mm-hmm. And to this day, is considered to be one of the best-selling Halloween costumes of all time. So from its it's time, cheap, yeah, it's super Halloween, yeah, everywhere kind of a thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They refer to it as being sold at every five and dime in the state, which was a popular convenience or not convenience store, a popular store at the time, department store. Um, so just kind of be sold all over. So that kind of opened up the dialogue of, you know, it it literally could be anyone that bought this costume and is wearing it. Right. Um, Tatum's mom comes into the room, lets her know that there is a phone call at Tatum's house for Sydney. She assumes it's her dad who has not been heard of since he's left. Uh, So eager to answer it, she does. And we find out that it is Ghostface on the other line. Uh, What do you think about all this scene? Um, The scene with the banter between, Dewey and Tatum and Sydney and Tatum, uh, their friendship and the phone call itself. I just love Dewey so much. You know, I feel like we all go for someone like Billy, but we should really go for someone like Dewey. Yeah. Did you hear that, David Arquette? (laughs) (laughs) Well, not him. Specifically. (laughs) Wait, side note, is is this when David Arquette and Courtney Cox met? Uh, yeah, actually, okay. so when they fell funny, in mm-hmm, funny enough, they started falling in love on the set of this, and in Scream 2, they were engaged, and Scream 3, they were married. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, so it's kind of cool how each film kind of played out, and, you know, they're they're not together anymore uh, in real life, but they still remain really close friends, and obviously have a kid together, so yeah. uh, from my understanding, they still have a close relationship, and... I think their chemistry on screen is evidence of, you know, them actually falling in love in real life. So I thought that was kind of cool. I was going to say, like, you can, their chemistry in this movie is, like, palpable. You can, like, see it. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. You can tell. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. It's awesome. Um, um, yeah, so the, the, so the phone call is, like, kind of suspect yep. a little bit because Billy is in the police station. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're like, oh, well, that he's out, right? At this point, that's yep. like another curveball. Yeah, yeah. So I think that's what the phone call kind of insinuates. It's um, you know, we know that Billy's locked up, and uh, how could Billy make the phone call if he's in jail? 
there's the angle that maybe he's out already, but from our understanding, he is still locked up because they're still uh, investigating. So, you know, who can make that phone call? If Billy's locked up, he's obviously not the killer. Which so. comes into question again later. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> so <laughs> now we're on a whole new day. Uh, Sydney is up and uh, oddly enough, the television is on in the kitchen. Gotta love a kitchen television. Uh, I had a kitchen television growing up, for sure. Yeah? I love it. <laughs> uh, well, on, on the television is, uh, again, more news surrounding everything that's happening. It just so happens to be focusing at the time when Sydney's in the room on her mother's accused um, rapist and murderer, Cotton Weary, who we know that Sydney put away. Uh, you know, Dewey quickly turns the television off, like, we're not going to deal with this right now. I don't want Sydney to be subjected to this with everything going on. Uh, they finally get to school. Dewey takes them to school. So, you know, we always see jokes about people arriving to school with their mom and being embarrassed, like, mom, don't drop me off in front of school. And here they are rolling up in a police car and getting out. So super cool right there. Uh, But immediately getting out of the car, they are greeted with a bunch of uh, newscasters wanting to, you know, get the inside scoop on what's going on. The first newscaster when Sydney opens up the door and gets out is actually a cameo from Linda Blair uh do you know who linda blair is no who's linda blair so linda blair is actually um the actress that plays reagan in the exorcist like the the possessed child the the possessed child yep that is her (laughs) really i need to rewind because she has such a like distinctive face i feel and i didn't catch Mm -hmm. that yeah it's very quick uh like i said as soon as she gets as soon as sydney gets out of the car uh, a news reporter pops up. Uh, she was like, people want a right to know. Uh, she puts a microphone in her face. Uh, it's definitely very quick. I mean, um, if you if you pause it just right, um, yeah, I'm using that as a line from the script when Tatum talks about Tom Cruise. Uh, if you pause it just right, you can see Linda Blair's face. Um, yeah. And it's, it's clearly her when you pause it. Uh, but it is a very quick scene. Uh, but I thought it was kind of cool to just kind of throw a horror icon in there, especially because The Exorcist is referenced earlier in the film when Billy said that he was Billy. watching it. Yeah. Ironically, that is the one horror movie I did watch when I was um, a teenager. The one. Wow. That's Look. probably what stopped me. <laughs> <laughs> the Exorcist ruined it for you. <laughs> I also remember watching The Ring in the theater with my Mm -hmm. friends and not sleeping for a week so yeah i feel like you were getting into like the demonic (laughs) the demonic horror films uh i think i think the slasher films are more for you Um, slasher are far more like i don't know the demonic ones just have this like psychological aspect that i'm like oh well this could be true and this could happen mm -hmm. i don't know and they mess with you in your mind. But these ones, I'm like, okay. You're just like, meh, meh, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the sound the knife makes. That's, that's, uh, yeah. <laughs> that's it. That's the knife. Yeah. Uh, so then Sydney and Tatum are walking into school. Tatum is actually wearing a um, uh, a belly shirt. Uh, it's a jersey. It's uh, the number 10. <laughs> yeah. Crop top, the proper word. Uh, yes, she's wearing a crop top. Uh, it's a jersey, and it has a number 10 on it. 
Are you familiar with this reference at all? No, no, no. <laughs> Uh, well, for you and for anyone listening, uh, I feel like some people do know this, but um, it's a nod to Wes Craven's A Nightmare on Elm Street. Uh, Johnny Depp, who uh, had his first starring role ever, was in A Nightmare on Elm Street. And Johnny Depp is actually wearing a crop top. Um, and it's a jersey and it has a number 10 on it. And that's actually what he's wearing when he, spoiler alert, dies. So Johnny Depp was in Friday the 13th. Uh, Nightmare on Elm Street. Nightmare on Elm Street. Friday the 13th is mm-hmm. older. Uh, actually, a Nightmare on Elm Street is older. Uh, there's it's just... Johnny Depp was in it? Yeah, it was actually his very first role ever. <gasps> Even mm-hmm. before, like, Growing Pains? Yep. <gasps> yep. What? Yeah, he... Yeah, you got to look it up. Um, and I, I bet if you go to Google and you type in uh, Johnny Depp, A Nightmare on Elm Street, and Tatum, Scream, they'll show you a side-by-side comparison. They're wearing, yeah, so they're wearing the same type of jersey. Tatum's is a different color and a little bit more feminine, of course. Uh, Johnny Depp's um, is still a crop top, and uh, but it's a little bit more masculine in terms of, like, the color and the scheme. It looks like an actual, like, jersey like what like 10 um i think he was he was a teenager so i don't know his exact age but uh yeah it was his first role wes craven loved him thought he was a very charming guy um and actually wes craven said that skeet ulrich brought the same type of charm during his audition for billy that johnny depp did so Yeah, Wait, pretty Johnny cool. Was an ingrowing pain. I'm thinking of Leonardo DiCaprio. Leonardo DiCaprio, yeah, that's fine. <laughs> uh, I, yeah, I didn't catch that when you said it, but yes, yeah. you're correct. But yeah, I mean, I mean, Leo and Growing Pains was great too. Oh yeah. <laughs> <Johnny> <laughs> um, good old Johnny Depp. Sydney uh, then keeps walking into class. Uh, Gail Weathers is there as well. Um, Here is a very important scene. We learned that here is when we learned that Sydney's testimony is what puts Cotton Weary behind bars. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sydney caught someone leaving a hotel room where her mother was murdered at, and um, Gail seems to think that Cotton was framed, that it was somebody else leaving the hotel that night, um, and they framed Cotton Weary. So she thinks that Sydney has it wrong. Uh, one thing I noticed in this scene, watching it back before we did this, was Sydney almost pauses in a way where Sydney's like, okay, with everything that's going on right now, maybe you're right. Yeah. She still stands firm with what she thinks, but at the same exact time, I think Gail's getting to her a little bit. Doesn't she um, doesn't Gail say to her, like, I see your, like, your question this? She does. Yep. Yeah. Um, yeah, which is great. Uh, yeah, and you you can you can definitely see it in Sydney's face too. So uh, we as an audience are kind of experiencing the same thing Gail is. Here we kind of see that maybe even though Gail's cutthroat, she's at least being honest. So uh, I think that kind of redeems her character a little bit. Uh, we go into the school then. Uh, here the kids are at the locker waiting to go to class, and someone runs through the hallway wearing a ghost face costume. Hi. Uh, was livid yeah it's and again i know i keep saying this but i feel like it kind of goes to modern times too uh people just kind of 
making, you know, I, I keep using TikTok as an example, but people are making these reactions like, um, you paused I'm back. I paused. Yeah. Uh, I kind of, I know I keep saying this, but I kind of feel like this brings back into perspective, modern times where people take what's happening in the media, uh, even no matter how tragic it is and kind of playing around with it. So these kids are throwing on ghost face costumes and running through the hallways, uh, trying to be silly. Uh, but again, you know, these are, these are people's lives, uh, that we're making fun of. And it's sad really that, you know, people react that way. So this upsets Sydney and she runs away from the situation to go collect herself and runs into Billy, who was just released out of jail. Mm-hmm. And here we learn that it's going to be one year tomorrow uh, to the day that she was, that Sydney's mom was murdered. This was uh, the most angering scene in the entire movie for me. Yeah, why do you feel like that? Um, how Billy's like, it's time to get over it. I was blown away. Yeah. Like, this kid, I... Like him questioning that she could be still grieving just a year after her, her mom died. Like, who do you think you are? <laughs> I right, was, yeah. This is the most upsetting scene for me. And to me, it's like he lacks empathy. So that like convinced me. I'm like, this is him. He's it. You know? Yeah, that's a good call. He, um, yeah, definitely lacks sympathy for the situation. He, you know, tries to play it off that. You know, the phone call that happened wasn't him. He kind of puts his hand up in the air and he has, you know, dark markings from his hands, his hands being dramatically on the jail cell bars. Um, so, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, yeah, very insensitive of him. Uh, not a great boyfriend, uh, regardless if he's a killer or not. Like, what a jerk girl. Get rid of him. Yeah. Uh, she runs to the bathroom and in oh. the bathroom, she's kind of collecting herself a little bit. Yeah. Um, it then cuts quickly to Principal Hembury, who, you know, the Fonz, he has two people in, two students in his office who he's yelling at. He has a ghost face mask in his hand that he's cutting up. So here we realize, okay, the person who ran through the hallway was definitely a kid just being an asshole. It obviously wasn't the actual ghost face killer. Uh, we cut back to Sydney in the bathroom. There are two cheerleaders in the bathroom talking about Sydney's bubble butt boyfriend, Billy. What does that um, mean? Is that a good thing? A bubble butt? I mean, I think, I, yeah, I mean, maybe at the time, it's just kind of like <laughs> not the best compliment. Like, that, but I feel like nowadays people like, like they, that. What are they saying? <laughs> <laughs> um. This seems actually really, really popular. Just these two girls having a conversation in the bathroom. Uh, they're random. Uh, they're not main characters by any means, but their characters' dialogue do kind of open up a little bit about um, who Sydney's mom possibly was. Uh, the cheerleaders basically like, "What if Sydney's mom did it? What if, what if Sydney freaked out and killed, uh, you know, killed Casey Becker and killed Steve because she lost it?" Um, she had a crush on Steve. There was a jealous rage, much like her mom. Uh, and the girls are just not being very nice. The one girl says maybe she's a slut just like her mother. Uh, 
Yeah. So these girls are not talking very nicely about Sydney or Maureen Prescott. Um, then the cheerleader then says a lot of really popular dialogue uh, just because it's, it's kind of witty. Uh, it's obviously rude. Just like her mother was a tramp. Um, the other girl's like, wait a minute, wait a minute. She watched her mom get butchered uh, and it really, you know, really fucked her up. And the other girl kind of plays on it. Um, her mother's death leaves her disturbed and hostile. Uh, in a cruel and inhumane world, she's just delusional. Uh, where's God, etc. cetera. Uh, she's completely suicidal. One day she snaps, wants to kill herself. Then she realizes that suicide is out and teen homicide is much healthier therapeutic expression. So that's quite a little, a little rant there and obviously yeah. very ignorant. So, um, you know, Sydney's hearing all of this and it clearly makes her very upset. Uh, that's not Sydney's intention. She doesn't feel like her mom is that way. Um, and then we start to hear some noises in the bathroom once the girls leave. Sydney's ready to peace out. She hears something whisper or someone whisper, Sydney. Uh, at first she's kind of like, okay. Am I back? No, you're good. Okay. Um, so Sydney finally leaves the stall once the girls uh, peace out. Uh, she's looking like she's digging in her purse to, you know, put some makeup on or something. And she then hears a noise. It sounds like someone whispering her name. She kind of looks around. She looks underneath the stalls. Nobody's in there. Uh, next thing we know as an audience, we see some boots come down. She then notices this as well. And then uh, a costume kind of fall over the, the, over the boots. And we now know that somebody's in the stall putting on the infamous Ghostface costume as the door unlocks. And Ghostface, or the person pretending to be Ghostface, attacks her. She runs out of the bathroom. Uh, what did you think of that scene as a whole? Um, they made such like a point of the boots. I'm like, this because mm-hmm. I didn't catch the boots thing before. Gotcha. Billy's boots, I did not catch it before. Mm-hmm. But they make such a point of it, and then you'll see, like, five minutes later, they have, like, another boot thing. So they're mm-hmm. all, like, I don't know. Do you know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah, the yeah. They uh, they definitely... Yeah, no, very good. Um, yeah, he's, like, on... Um, when he... What's he throw out a cigarette or something? Or the ice cream cone falls. A little bit later, you see the police officer's boots. Yeah. 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 Um, um, yeah. I think it's. So I think it's pretty I, cool they focus on that. Yeah, but I just in this scene I was like, I forgot about it, and it's it's a terrifying scene. It's scary. So you know. Yeah, there's there's actually a debate online. Um, it's something that's always talked about, and I kind of want to know your your idea. Mm-hmm. Do you think? Do you think that's actually Ghostface or do you think it's someone pretending to be Ghostface that wanted to scare Sydney? I think it was actually Ghostface. Cool. Uh, One of them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. One of those people that were in the everything. No, 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 you're good. No, it's fine. We, you know, I, I feel like at this point in time, we can just, we'll spoil everything. It's totally cool. Um, <sighs> I kind of feel like with the conversation she just had with Billy. And mm-hmm. I feel like it was probably him. I don't know. I think so too. I think, I do think it was 
you know, Ghostface or one of the killers dresses Ghostface. Uh, I don't think it was necessarily a prank at the time. Um, but yeah, so cut to another scene. Uh, we, you know, Dewey and Gail kind of communicate once uh, for the first time. And, you know, there's some playful flirting there. Um, I think we kind of see it as Gail just being somebody who, uh, maybe she's a flirtatious person, doesn't really mean anything by it. Dewey buys into it, like, yeah. Oh, yeah, this girl's into me, but yeah, she's, she's uh, clearly trying, just trying to get information from him. Yeah, she's using absolutely. Him. She's using him. Um, yeah, and then we find out that school is getting canceled uh, finally. for, yeah, finally, after all this time. Could have been, like, a long time ago. A long time ago. Yeah, so they're canceling school. Uh, there's going to be a curfew in town. Uh, the, obviously, the school is all excited. How how great is this? We have to go home early. We don't have to return for school until we're told we have to. Uh, Stu uses time to be like, hey, I'm going to throw a party. Obviously, he has a nice, really big, a really nice house that we're going to see a little bit later. Um, he's going to invite a bunch of people over. They're going to have a good time. He's very excited about it. Uh, like Stu. Dummy. <laughs> Why yeah. are you throwing a party? yeah let's celebrate people in our class getting murdered and school being canceled by having a large party where there'll be lots of underage drinking lots of underage drinking no one knows what's going on it's perfect it's wonderful no one would want anything different (laughs) so we eventually cut back to uh the principal who is uh alone in the school since everyone just peaced out to go home before the curfew since school is canceled he fixes his hair in the mirror, just like the Fonz does on Happy Days. Hey. Did you notice that? Yeah. Hey. Uh, he's kind of, you know, walking around the, the office, um, making sure everyone's gone. He hears some noises. He investigates and sees the janitor is in the hallway. Um, and I don't know if you know this, but... <laughs> I do you know? Like okay. So that is Wes Craven, the director of the film. Well, I didn't know that. <laughs> okay, perfect. Well, yeah, there's, there's, there's a couple layers here. So he is, uh, that is actually Wes Craven doing a cameo in the film. He's dressed in the same, um, same sweater that Freddy Krueger wears, which is what Wes Craven, uh, you know, Wes Craven wrote and directed and created Freddy Krueger. So it's kind of cool that he was wearing the sweater and the hat um, and, Principal Hembree says, sorry, Fred, not you. So he actually refers to him as Fred. Fred. And yeah, so in the first Nightmare on Elm Street, uh, in the original script, Wes Craven referred to Freddy Krueger as Fred Krueger. So he was actually called Fred in the first film, not Freddy. Freddy's Um, terrifying. Yeah, Freddy's, that name is creepy enough. Anyone comes near me named Freddy, I'm like. Freddy. (laughs) Freddy, stand back. (laughs) Freddy, you stand back. You stay away. Get out of my dreams. Um. So another funny thing about this moment is there is a line in the film. I forget exactly when it happens, but Tatum and Dewey are talking and uh, Dewey says, not in front of my superior. And Tatum says, the janitor is your superior, which oddly enough, the janitor here in this scene is Wes Craven, which is the, the director, which is the, the boss of the entire film. Yeah. Yeah. So that is your superior. The janitor in this film is the superior because it is Wes Craven. 
So I thought that was kind of cool. Um, you know, kind of little silly, silly thing there that maybe wasn't intentional, but uh, it definitely makes sense. Yeah, and I, I think it's funny. I didn't know it was Wes Craven. I knew that they were making a reference to Freddy Krueger, but I didn't know that was Wes Craven at all. Yeah, so um, they kind of took that from old horror films from Alfred Hitchcock. Alfred Hitchcock would always show up in all of his movies as a random cameo. Mm-hmm. Um, whether it being obvious or not, he in some way, shape, or form always randomly showed up in his films. Uh, so Wes Craven decided to do the same exact thing, which I thought was kind of cool. That is cool. I like that. Yeah. Uh, Principal Henry goes back into his room. He's like, okay, I'm crazy. I'm hearing things. Nothing's happening. He opens up the closet and there is a leather jacket that was actually worn by him during happy days hanging in the closet. Yeah. Yeah. There's lots of fun little things in this movie. And I think that's. He was surfing. (laughs) It might have been. Yeah. We're right back to the surfing thing. That's, yeah. (laughs) Principal Himpery likes to go surfing and wear the Fawn's jacket. (laughs) Oh, that makes me so happy that you told me that. That yeah, see, jacket was in there. That's so cute. Yeah, now the next time you watch Scream, which if you're like me, you'll end up watching it every year or twice a year. So, uh, so you'll definitely pick up on it. Is my sound of music. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. What's the sound of music? Are you kidding? Please tell I'm me just kidding. Seen it. Oh my god, I've seen it. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> I have. <Okay>. Um, <laughs> so then Ghostface jumps out from behind the door. Um, he was actually behind the main door the whole time and kills Principal Hembry with the same scissors that he used to threaten the kids that were pretending to be Ghostface. So now the real Ghostface has those scissors and kills him with them. Uh, there's a really cool shot of Principal Hembry being knocked down to the ground right before he's brutally murdered. And you can see Ghostface in the reflection in his eye. Yeah. Yeah. So um, that's the last thing that he saw before he you know, perished away. <laughs> R.I.P. Uh, back to Tatum and Sydney. They're talking a little bit more about her mother. Uh, Tatum makes a reference to um, Sydney saying things like, maybe my mom, um, you know, was cheating on my father. You know, maybe I agree with you, Tatum. Maybe he, maybe she was lonely because he was always out of town and, you know, maybe she was having an affair and what if Cotton wasn't the person that killed my mom? And what if uh, he was framed and Tatum kind of stops her like, you know, she wants Sydney to be grounded in reality, but at the same time, doesn't want Sydney to get worked up over this. Like, you know, this, this was a year ago and not that she has to forget about it, but we can't sit here and fixate on it the entire time. Like, I want you to try to move on, try to live your life. And, um, you know, with Sydney saying all these things, Tatum says, you're starting to sound like some Wes Carpenter flick. So Wes Craven, Wes Craven's the director of the movie. John Carpenter is the director of Halloween. Uh, at the time, they were two of the most infamous horror movie directors. So I thought it was kind of cool that Tatum kind of threw both of the names together uh, to kind of create a fictional director that makes really, you know, crazy elaborate horror films. So Wes Carpenter is brought up here. That was kind of kind of neat. I didn't, yeah, I didn't realize that. I'm like, who's Wes Carpenter? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, so he's fictionist, uh, fictional, a you know, whatever, but uh, in this scene also, uh, right at the end of their conversation, the camera pans over to the woods right next to the house, 
and uh, Ghostface is kind of uh, lingering in the in the trees uh, as if he's watching them and then pieces out. Uh, here in a little bit, we're also going to get the same exact type of scene when Tatum and Sydney are together at a grocery store yeah. uh, or a little convenient market. And we're going to see Ghostface kind of run past them uh, in the reflection of the cooler door. Mm-hmm. Uh, what are, what's your takes on that? Do you think that that's actually Billy or Stu, or do you think that that's um, well, go ahead. What do you, what do you think about, about I think that? It, I th- it has to be Billy or Stu. I don't think anyone would just like joke around and like, obviously when like the kids were doing it in like the school, you know, they were like making fun of it and like being goofy. And I think like, they're obviously like not stalking them, but keeping an eye on where they are. So I think it, I think it's Billy or Stu for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this that? is actually... Yeah, it's actually one of the most um, divided things about this movie. Really? Uh, yeah, any, compl- any you know, complaint, obviously we all have our own uh, things about all movies, but one of the major complaints I see online about this movie is a lot of people don't like the bathroom scene because they're, they're not quite sure if it's a joke or if it's actually Ghostface. They don't like the scene where they're talking on the porch and Ghostface is in the bushes or the convenience store the convenience store scene where Ghostface is seen in the reflection because um, they think it's too obvious or like at this point in time, no one would be running around in a Ghostface costume in broad daylight uh, doing that, even if it's a prank or not, you know, police could question that could be an issue um, and no one would be dumb enough to do that. So uh, it's definitely a debate online. Uh, People kind of come up with their own theories. I've seen people talk about how um, it's not actually happening, but as for us as an audience, it's, kind of um, letting us know that Ghostface is definitely out there. So maybe he's not actually in the bushes, but we as an audience see it as we need to know that he is around. So um, just added to the suspense a little bit, you know? Yeah. I mean, I don't think it's out of question that uh, someone could be wearing that costume at the time uh, because like they've made note of uh, that a lot of people can have that costume. And even if it was Billy or Stu in the bushes, or in the bathroom, or in the convenience store. I think even if you know they were to be caught and questioned by authority, just be like, "Oh, I'm just messing around." Like, sorry, man, no big deal. Mm-hmm. Um, because we don't really know the whole story behind the costume um, or it being a part of all these scenes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So then we cut to a video store scene where we see more scenes uh, with Billy and Stu together, as well as Randy. Uh, when I was a kid, I loved this scene. Uh, just all the movie references that are in here, which I won't get into all of them. But um, Randy says something along the lines of uh, seeing Billy standing in the horror movie section. Not a good look. Uh, not a good look. He says this too. You know, if you were the prime suspect of, uh, you know, these murders, would you be standing in the slasher section? Like, that's, that's not cool. Um, he kind of gives us a hint to horror movies having a formula and feeling like they're living in a real horror movie with uh, these events happening. Um, He says, if you watched prom night, you'd save time. There's a formula to it, a very simple formula that everyone's a suspect. Prom night was a Jamie Lee Curtis horror film. Uh, It was a slasher movie. I believe it was early eighties. If I'm wrong, I'm sorry, but uh, it was, it was kind of like a whodunit slasher film as well. Uh, And, you know, kind of, you know, looking back on it now, it definitely follows a formula. Uh, you know, you meet the characters, one person dies, you care about them, that person dies, 
Um, and then you reveal who the killer is. It's the person who you thought it was the whole time. They have some motive at the end. So, um, you know, he's kind of giving commentary on the actual thing we're watching unfold in front of us as an audience with Scream. And then Billy and Stu kind of confront Randy and kind of tease him. Like, you know, what if it is me? What if I, what if I am the killer? Or what if it's you? What if your movie freaked mind, uh, you know, went crazy and whatever, uh, you know, Randy is kind of like, well, yeah, I would be the prime suspect because um, as this movie's commentary kind of is, um, and as we get into the motive, we kind of kind of take a toll on, uh, you know, people who do like horror movies, which kind of throws me under the bus. So, you know, in this situation, um, you know, I would be a prime suspect because they're kind of referring to the idea that if you're watching horror films and you're studying them, you know how they work, you know how to stalk, you know, to try to hide and all these things. So. I think that's pretty cool to kind of play on Randy's character and the importance of that and kind of make the audience go, well, hmm, maybe Randy would be a, you know, a suspect in the situation. I I didn't for one second think Randy did it at all. Not poor innocent Randy. He would never. Randy. (laughs) No. Anything in this scene, it just makes it, to me, I'm like, oh, well, it's Billy, because <laughs> he's such a creep. Yeah. I'm like, ugh. But, yeah. Yeah. Not, yeah, not, they're... Not really. <laughs> yeah, Billy and Stu in this scene are definitely a little creepy, um, which is fun, because, again, there's little nods to, hey, we are the killers, and looking back on it, you're like, they're literally through this whole movie telling us, like, these two are the killers, right. but, but at the same exact time, you don't want to believe it, because they they are likable to an extent and um, it's also obvious that yeah. that's the formula. That's the formula. The formula is it's the boyfriend. It's always the boyfriend. Do you think Randy knew all along? Um, I think Randy definitely had them at the top of the list. I think Randy also like us as an audience were like, okay, well, maybe it is too obvious. Maybe, you know, the rules that I'm going to talk about in a little bit um, aren't real because this is real life. So we're following the formulas in movies, but how, do real, how does real life play out, you know? Um, yeah, okay. So basically now we're at Stu's house. He's throwing a big party. The rest of the movie, um, the rest of the movie was shot in 21 days. So the movie... The movie is 40, or at this point in time, there's there's 50, 50 some minutes left of the movie. Um, 42 minutes of it takes place at Stu's house at this party. Yeah. And it took 21 days to film. And apparently they were like very long shoots. The cast was tired, but they also became really close. They would hang out in between takes. It was really cold. Some would um, fall in love. Perhaps. <laughs> yeah. Some were falling in love. Yes. <laughs> um, I guess at the end of filming for this sequence, uh, at the end of the 21 days, the cast made a bunch of shirts um, that said, I survived. Um, I survived the scene. Uh, I think it was like scene, scene 118 or something like that. They, so yeah, so they wore shirts. I survived scene 118 because it took so long. It was cold and all that fun stuff. So they were, they were tired. It was a long shoot. Uh, but they they made it. They survived it. Um, so I guess that was the real Ghostface. The the Nick Cave song. 
we didn't talk about the Nick Cave song. What, what are your thoughts it's on that? It's up twice now. Mm-hmm. I How do you feel love this song. Yeah? Yeah. And I just think it, like, it fits so perfectly in with this movie. And obviously, I know it from Peaky Blinders, but... Peaky um, Blinders. Peaky Blinders. But I just love... I, I love this song in this movie and like it's it's kind of a dramatic song so I think it adds a lot to mm-hmm. the movie. Yeah. Absolutely. Um yeah, I think I think at this point in time um or even to this day, you know, with Peaky Blinders, you know, pushed to the side, I think that that song is definitely a part of the Scream universe. People know the know the song from Scream. It's this is not the only movie that it um it shows up in, so it kind of kind of sticks with that throughout the the entire franchise does it show up um, in every single movie in some form um everyone except for f- everyone except for four i think you cut out. i might be wrong um it's not in every single one it's definitely in i definitely know it's in two yeah uh i think it's in all like the or- original ones for sure yeah absolutely um i think it's in number five yeah um so it's actually funny that you mentioned uh the song so all the way back to the beginning in the first scene with sydney and billy in sydney's room uh there's a song in the background playing called don't fear the reaper Mm -hmm. uh which i think is funny because billy is the reaper uh yeah, so I thought that was kind of a cool song choice there. Um, uh, it's acoustic. It, it kind of goes well with the scene and the conversation they're having. Mm-hmm. Uh, but lyrically, uh, Don't Fear the Reaper, um, kind of setting uh, a kind of tongue-in-cheek thing, setting us up that Billy is the Reaper and yeah. we shouldn't fear him. <laughs> we should, though. <laughs> um, we, we should. We, we absolutely should. <laughs> Once you throw that ghost face mask on, mortified. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So now we're at Sid. Uh, we're at Stu's house. Um, everyone's there. Sydney and Tatum arrive to the party. They're ready to have a good time. We also see that Gail has arrived as well. She and her cameraman Kenny are hanging out in the news van. Mm-hmm. Dewey's there as well, and he, uh, you know, heads over to Gail. Uh, kind of says hello. I remember chatting to you. They kind of flirt a little bit more. She, again, is definitely just using him. Uh, they decide to go into the house to make sure everyone's okay. They want to do the proper thing, but also want the kids to have a good time. So whenever they go in, Gail has ulterior motives, and she has a small camera that she's going to place in the house so she can watch to see if anything unfolds or if there's small anything camera. given away. <laughs> small camera. Yeah, small yeah, yeah. Camera. I was like, oh, my God, how did none of them notice it was <laughs> Yeah, that's so true. She walked in with like basically a whole camcorder. <laughs> Literally a whole camcorder. <laughs> <laughs> when uh when Gail goes into the party, uh all the kids are super excited. They know her from television. She's a super cool person. Uh Tatum's pissed that Dewey's there. Uh he's like, I'm only gonna be here for a minute, wanna make sure there's no underage drinking, kinda chuckles while grabbing a kid's beer, hands it back to him and is like, whatever, just have a good time and be safe. Don't drink and drive the end um at this point in time tatum's annoyed that dewey's there she knows they're about to leave um and sue asked tatum to go get some more beer she then goes into the garage to grab some more beer for him and we see the door slowly close as she's in the garage Mm -hmm. and um she 
goes to leave the garage, realizes that the door back into the house is locked. Uh, she's pissed off. She has a bunch of beer in her hands. And she's like, whatever, I'll just go out the garage and go back to the front door. As, she's, as she turns on the button to open the garage doors and starts walking over, the garage door then immediately shifts gears and starts going back down. She looks back and there's Ghostface uh, standing next to the locked door to the house. And he is closing the garage door for her. She confronts him, um, basically calls him Randy as well. Poor Randy just being accused left and right and being a nice guy. Randy is the sweetest character in this entire movie <laughs> other than Dewey. Why is he getting this shit? Yeah, he's getting all this shit. So she she's she's basically kind of like being silly with him, um, which I actually love. I think it's very on brand for the character of Tatum. Um, she's like, do you want me to play the helpless victim? Uh, she called, refers to him as Casper. Um, you know, Ghostface is kind of playing along with her um, as if he's making it like I am one of your friends, which I guess in a weird way, he is definitely Billy or Stu. So he's definitely part of that. Um, she's like, don't kill me, Mr. Ghostface. I want to make it to the sequel. Uh, I always love that line. That Ghostface is called Ghostface? Uh, yeah. 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 Good, good call out there. Um, yeah. And that's where the name Ghostface starts. Like I said, the, the original costume was called uh, Grandfather Death or Father Death. Mm-hmm. And um, at this point in time, Ghostface finally pulls a knife out and slices Tatum's arm open. And here she freaks out. It's kind of like, okay, this is real. This is not some joke. And uh, they kind of have a, a little fight. She goes to open up the garage door, runs over. He closes it. She tries to sneak through the doggy door and she gets stuck, which oddly enough, during filming, they discovered because they were using a real garage door that Rose McGowan, who plays Tatum, was um, has a very petite frame. She could actually fit her entire body through the garage door. So they had to. Yeah. 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 So they actually stapled her clothes to the door when she made it halfway through. They stapled her to the door, uh, to the doggy door. So she was, you know, in place the entire time. Um, and the original script did not call for her being stuck in the doggy door. Uh, she eventually was wrestling with Ghostface, and at some point in time, the garage door starts coming down while they're wrestling and crushes her head in uh-huh. the door between the ground. But um, while filming, they decided that they thought it was uh, kind of a cool thing where she was smart and trying to escape through the doggy door, um, and of course, got stuck. So. Got to make a point. It's a cat door because <laughs> okay, a cat perfect. went through the door. I have to stand up for the cats right now. Oh, stand up for the cat. Hey, this is this is a cat-friendly film here. I have to stand up for the cats right now. <laughs> <laughs> You're, that's very true. The cat definitely scared her and ran yes. through that little cat door. So, mm-hmm. uh, yes. So Tatum died by a cat door, um, yeah. which, you know, when oh. you say that out loud. Oh. <laughs> yeah. When you say it out loud, it's, you know, it's kind of silly to think. But at the same time, you know, if if this were, you know, we're watching a movie uh, to them in the film, it's real life. So if that were to happen in real life for us, we would definitely try to find any type of way to escape from a situation such as that. And even if it might not be the best thing, um, it's still a way to try to escape. We're using our brain for an escape tactic. I going to say, don't have garage doors, maybe not in the 90s, but don't they have like sensors? 
Uh, you would think, yeah. I mean, I think they do. Uh, yeah. So apparently those sensors didn't work, or maybe in the nineties they yeah. they didn't do anything. But <laughs> that garage door was like, oh, I'm feeling extra heavy today. <laughs> yeah. I feel like um, doesn't shut if there's like a single leaf. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah. Well, hey, maybe Tatum was lighter than a leaf maybe in that she door. Was. Maybe she was. <laughs> Well, um, what a frightening, like, visual of her stuck in there. Oh, and her eventually being crushed is, ugh. yeah. Yeah, uh, that's obviously a very iconic scene, too. Um, it was creative in terms, and that's something like that has never really happened on film before, uh, being crushed by a garage door, uh, specifically in that manner, going through a through a cat door. Um, Thank you. And, yeah, so... <laughs> You know, people always remember that. I mean, that's something in screen that people remember. And even if it's one of those things where people are like, that would never happen. The weight of her body would pull the garage door down or like the sensors, um, you know, obviously it still happened. And that's something that uh, is definitely very memorable from the film. I think it makes it uh, realistic, to be honest, you know? No, yeah. I, no, I agree. And I think I think it all goes back to Nev Campbell's dialogue with Sydney back when she got the first phone call when she was alone talking about uh, the girl running up the steps when she should be going out the front door. We all try to find a way to, you know, deal with the situations that we're in. And that was one of the ways that, you know, Tatum decided to try to escape. So, is that Barnaby? It is. He's, he wants attention. <laughs> yeah. Hi, bud. Hi, Barnaby. Um, hi, Barnaby. <laughs> um, He's tired of watching Scream. He's watched it too many times. You <laughs> bet. <laughs> um, he knows it. He knows it really well. But cool. So yeah. So poor Tatum. R.I.P. Uh, Tatum is definitely a fan favorite. Yeah. Uh, yep. So then we got back to the party after Tatum has died. No one knows yet. And Randy shows up to the party. Uh, Stu's kind of like, what are you doing here? I feel like, I feel like Randy's like the outcast of the group of friends. Um, but whatever, we all love Randy. We've established this. Um, we also discover, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, he's the the heart. (laughs) He's the heart of the film. Um, we then discover that, um, you know, Billy just arrived as well. Randy's here now. Tatum's obviously still grabbing beer. It's taking her a very long time, uh, but she's getting beer from the garage. Uh, you know, with Billy's arrival, Billy's kind of like, I want to use this time to, you know, take you upstairs. I want to chit chat a little bit. Um, he apologizes for, you know, being the way that he is. Sydney kind of opens up to him. You know, I've been distant. Uh, you know, I do think about my mother's death a lot and it's really affected me. Um, I really like this scene. It kind of, this also brings Billy down to a level where kind of like, okay, well, this isn't as bad of a person as we thought he was throughout the film so far. Uh, maybe he is a sweet guy. He just doesn't know how to deal with uh, Sydney the way that she's dealing with things. I had a reaction to that. Oh, really? Perfect. Okay. Oh, yeah. I was like, I cannot believe <laughs> he's hearing him out and actually giving him some sort of a chance. I, <laughs> that's fair yeah i i had the opposite i was like i don't this makes him worse well no that's good too i mean i love i love that reaction as well i mean 
I guess you're right. If, I mean, we as an audience can be like, Sydney, don't fall for this. Like, why are you giving into him saying this after all the things that he's done so far, regardless yeah. if he, you know, regardless of the, the killer aspect of everything, uh, just the way he's kind of handled the situation. And uh, like you mentioned in the hallway to high school, just kind of brushing off her mom's death is, you know, my mom's have been out of town or well, whatever. Right. You're fine. Yeah. You'll deal with it. Yep. <laughs> um, he refers to, you know, she kind of makes a reference the same way Tatum did. Like maybe I'm being dramatic. Maybe this is all, this all just feels like a movie. And he's kind of like, well, yeah, we're kind of, life is kind of a movie. Like we're, you know, every day is a, a new part of the story we're telling. And um, I think that kind of goes to the commentary of what the film is about. Cut back down to the party and the kids are now all watching John Carpenter's Halloween, uh, which was a heavy influence on the film. And this is when Randy goes on his big quote unquote nerd, um, nerd that. rant. Yeah. And he wow. talks about, uh, yeah, it's very, it's very important. It's, this is, this is the essence of Scream as a film. This was, you know, uh, from what I've, I've learned about Kevin Williamson, the writer of the film, uh, you know, he was a big film fan growing up and he loves horror movies. And um, I can see a lot of himself being in this character, talking about these types of things. And I related a lot to this. Um, you know, you've seen a lot of, seen a lot of horror movies to kind of get the idea of what's going on. And it just goes back to Randy talking about there being a formula. So he says, rule number one, you can never have sex. But we as an audience at this moment in time are about to witness Sydney, our main character uh, that you know Randy's referencing. Um, we're about to see her lose her virginity to her boyfriend. So uh, we're seeing number one rule is you can never have sex. Why, Sydney? Um, ah, poor Sydney. Ah, oh, Sydney, come on. Uh, Randy's like, sex equals death. So at this point in time, wh why he's saying this is because in the 70s and 80s, a lot of horror films, uh, they were never big box office successes, but there was a lot of you know, cult followings. But horror films were known for putting a lot of sex scenes or a lot of nudity in the films. And it almost seemed like every time we got a sex scene in a horror movie, someone got murdered. Uh, that was a part of that scene. Uh, not too long after Friday the 13th was is very well known for its sex scenes and Jason just brutally murdering anyone who's you know doing anything like that because it goes back to the storyline of uh, the camp counselors not paying attention to Jason prior to his death so <coughs> excuse me uh, number two you can never drink or do drugs basically what Randy's saying here is, again going back to Friday the 13th aspect is um, um, it's just a sin. It's an extension of number one. You're not paying attention. You're you're out of your mind and your body. So if there's a murder on the loose or you're running from a killer, uh, your mind is not all in it. So you're uh, about to find your demise. And, um, and number three is never, ever under any circumstance say, I'll be right back because you will not be back. You will not be right back. And you will not be back. Um, yeah, Randy says this because dialogues are important in horror films too. Uh, again, it goes back to Sydney talking about how uh, horror movies are all the same. You know, the women are doing this and um, you're yelling at the screen, like, why aren't you doing this? Why aren't you doing that? Or even you just being like, Sydney, come on, don't believe Billy. Yeah. Like he's not being genuine. Uh, you know, we as an audience are always yelling at the, the screen and in horror films, uh, specifically more towards this time, um, 
you know, some of these characters were making quote unquote dumb decisions and um, we were getting frustrated with that. So, <laughs> you know, dialogue was very heavy. So if you say, I'm going to be right back, redesigns are like, ah, oh, you're not going to be back. Yeah. That's the way to get you away from everything that's happening. The killer's going to show up. You're going to get murdered. So oddly enough, Stu had previously asked Tatum to go get me some beers. And we know as an audience that she just got murdered. After Randy says this, don't ever say I'll be right back because you won't be back. Stu eventually stands up and says, I'm going to go get another beer. You want one? Because obviously Tatum never came back to it. And he says, I'll be right back. Yeah. So, yep. so now we as an audience are like, oh, man, Stu's going to die too. Um, what do you think about all this so far? What do you think about Randy's rules? Do you feel the same when you were watching this? I know you haven't seen a lot of horror movies, but how did you feel about that? <clears throat> I haven't. But <clears throat> I don't know. I I feel like Randy speaks the truth, <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. yeah, I I see me not being a horror like horror fan um, sees Randy like with these rules, and I'm like, okay, that makes sense. And yeah. but I feel like at this point, I'm like, well, they're purposefully saying this to throw me off. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's again the great thing. Saying, I'll be right back. I was like, hmm, still. Okay. <laughs> yeah, you'll be back, bro. You'll be back. He'll definitely be back. Um, like he cool, really come- on Tatum in a very long time at this point, and that's supposedly his girlfriend. Yeah, poor guy. Um, yeah, he has. Uh, we special. think. Who do you think killed Tatum? Do you think it was Stu or Billy? Um, I think it was Stu. Okay. What do you think? Um, I think it was Billy. I think Stu had Billy do that crime. I think Billy's more the mastermind behind all of this. I think Billy's the one who's getting his hands a lot dirtier. And Stu's um, the ride. Yeah, yeah, Stu's like the lap dog of it all. Uh, you know, he has his reasons, which we'll get into. And um, right after Tatum gets murdered, that's when Billy shows up to the party and he jumps off from the side of the house. That is true. Um, And then Stu says something along the lines of, hey, Billy, what are you doing here? Do you really feel like Stu didn't know he was going to show up? No, I definitely feel like they've planned this entire thing. And I think that's why Stu was so excited um, about the party they were about to have. I think it was, I think they had a very elaborate plan about all of this and everything was working, was on their side. I think they planned it very well. Which um, is crazy because you wouldn't yeah. think that Stu would be behind anything because it doesn't right. like yeah. a lot of brain cells. <laughs> yeah, he definitely lacks a lot. And I, I think that also plays into that. And I think that's good of Matthew Lillard to kind of be that silly, silly best friend, like the class clown type person. Yeah. because even as an audience was kind of like, well, he's not smart enough to do all of this, but that's what puts him in, in the lap dog position that I mentioned, because I feel like um, in a way he just kind of had this idea, all these ideas and Billy was the mastermind of it all. So, yeah, I definitely feel like this, like that, that whole scene was to shake us up a little bit and to like, mm-hmm. this is actually like, this is what we, this is the formula, but this is not what's going to happen here. Yep, be absolutely. Be prepared. Definitely, it's definitely a shakeup. 
Yeah. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna flip the genre completely upside down mm-hmm. and give you new ways to to view these types of things. Um, meanwhile, outside, Gail's still sitting in her van, watching the kids on this camera, yeah. and loving every second of it. Dewey shows back up. They decide they're gonna take a walk mm-hmm. uh, because there was there was a car spotted in the woods. So Dewey's like, let's go investigate. You're a pretty lady. I'm going to take you with me. So they go on a little walk together. And um, chemistry is real. It's yeah, the chemistry, 100%. Yeah. <laughs> um, meanwhile, meanwhile, the kids are still watching Halloween. Stu has now gone at this point. He's getting that beer. Uh, again, they're watching Halloween while we're also simultaneously, as an audience, watching Billy and Sydney upstairs um, about to engage in their first uh, sexual act together um, in this scene where it's it's implied uh, that they that Cindy's losing her virginity in this moment and um, Randy gets a phone call on his house on uh, his house landline that Principal Hembry was found murdered and hanging from a football post. He's shocked and tells the rest of the people that are at the party. Uh, the kids then um, unfortunately were like. Well, let's go to the school and check this out before the cops take it down. And this reaction um, was crazy. Yeah, it's sad, and I know I keep talking about it, but I just feel like it just goes to today's society too. Like we're all there. I mean, we want they wanted to see the dead body, so it's disgusting and whatever. But it's something for them to to talk about and be excited about. It's gross. So yeah, I was like, what are these? kids doing right now is this for- <laughs> yeah why why are they so excited so yeah so they all peace out all the kids leave so now it's basically just our main characters left in this house billy billy's upstairs hooking up with his girlfriend tatum is hanging dead from a garage door randy is left to watch uh halloween gail and dewey are off and walk, taking a stroll trying to figure out what this car is uh they eventually um get thrown off their their walk by a speeding car which were actually the kids um (laughs) silly boys uh off to go see the dead body uh this knocks dewey and gail down a little embankment and they fall on top of one another conveniently uh i actually read uh that during filming they had to film this multiple times because david and courtney kept laughing during the scene because they were so in love. Oh, God. <laughs> at the, at the um, heart of it all, it's a love story. <laughs> it is a love story. Yes, yeah, so that's why you like it, Lauren. This is actually a romance movie. It's like Downton Abbey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is the OG version of that. <laughs> um, Dewey then, being on top of Gail, decides he's going to take this moment to give her a quick little kiss. Uh, there's an awkward moment where they're like, huh. Um, he apologizes, but in the moment when he thinks that she's not into it, she actually spots the car that uh, Dewey had gotten a call about. Yep. Uh, they run over, check it out, and it's Neil Prescott's car, Sydney's missing father. Yeah. So it's not too far away from the house. So at this point in time, we're like, okay, did Neil ditch the car so he could commit all these crazy murders? Did he get taken captive by the killer? Uh, what is happening? So I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. So now we're back to the the third act of the film where we made it to the the end. And 
uh, we got to Sydney and Philly. Um, you know, they're they're finished with their their moment together, and she happens to be getting herself together. She sets a um, a brush down, and there she notices um, right next to the brush. Yeah, are you there? Yeah, I didn't hear you for two seconds. So you're with the brush. Yeah, so after their act together, Sydney is getting herself together. She has a brush in her hand. She sets the brush down, which is being set down next to a phone. This then prompts her to ask the question, hey, you did you call your dad? You get one call when you're in jail. Uh, was your dad the person that you called? And he's like, yeah, but when I called, I didn't get an answer. Um, he then kind of stares at her like, you do you still think this is me? Do you still think that I'm the one behind all this? Uh, we as an audience see her pause for a second. She thinks about it and then realizes there's been a lot of things going on. Um, and if it was you, it'd be a great way to throw you off track. Mm -hmm. So she sees the phone call as, you know, kind of playing into a movie aspect of, okay, you have one call in jail. I assumed you called your father, but your dad didn't answer. So it'd be a great way to throw me off by using that phone call to be the ghost face caller. And, um, you cut off again. Sorry. No, you're good. What was the last thing you heard? Um, it'd be a great way to throw you off. Yeah. Yeah. So he, she basically, she basically sees it as, okay, that would have been a great way to throw me off. Uh, she's thinking like the movies and he's kind of like, well, that's, that's ridiculous. Um, and it's at this moment in time, he says, what do I have to prove to you that I'm not the killer? Mm -hmm. And it just so happens that right behind him in the background, we as an audience see Ghostface right. sneaking up behind him. Sydney catches the, glue, the, the view of this and Billy proceeds to get stabbed multiple, multiple times uh, with a knife by Ghostface. He falls over. Um, then comes a, uh, a nice little chase scene uh, between Ghostface and Sydney. Uh, eventually Sydney ends up running into a room upstairs and, uh, she jumps from the window and lands on top of a boat. Conveniently. So, <laughs> conveniently on top of a boat. Yeah. She sees the, the dead body of her best friend Tatum I know. hanging from a garage. So sad. I can't even. Yeah. I can't even. This, Sydney, Sydney is just, I feel bad for her. She's, She's been through a lot. She, yeah. <laughs> Literally. A yeah. very, very traumatized young woman, and I, I, just, I definitely feel for her. That, and, like, I cannot believe that Wes Craven had them actually do the deed, because that's mm -hmm. more traumatizing for her later. Like, I'm, yeah. I'm like, why you gotta do that to her? She <laughs> Why you gotta do a, that? She's been through a lot. <laughs> she's been through enough, Wes. Yeah. <laughs> um... Meanwhile, while Sydney is going through her whole chase scene with Ghostface, finally lands on top of the boat and gets out of the situation. We assume she is safe. Uh, then Ghostface appears again at another part of the house behind Randy as he's continuing to watch Halloween. This is so, a such a great scene. So yeah. Halloween's playing. Uh, the score of Halloween is also playing in the background uh, while we're watching the film as Scream. 
But one of my favorite things about this, and I never caught it uh, when I was younger, um, it has been in the last couple of years that I finally realized this, um, and it's definitely talked about a lot, is the, the meta uh, ideology of how the actor, Jamie Kennedy, who is playing Randy, is watching the actress, Jamie Lee Curtis, play Lori as he's yelling at the television, instead of referring to her as Lori, he's referring to her as Jamie. So as we're watching the scene unfold, we as an audience are hearing Jamie, turn around. There's someone behind you, Jamie, turn around, pay attention, Jamie. Meanwhile, the actor Jamie Kennedy has Ghostface standing behind him, mm-hmm. ready to attack him, which I think is pretty, pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and o- oddly enough, uh, this whole entire film, when we see Ghostface, it's actually a stunt man playing Ghostface for all the running and kicking and things that happen with that. Uh, but there's one scene in the movie where Skeet Ulrich actually asked to put the Ghostface costume on, and it is in this scene. So that is actually Skeet Ulrich standing uh-huh. behind Jamie Kennedy in the Ghostface costume. So. Uh, it was like interesting that 30 seconds later Gail mm-hmm. and Jenny were like turn around Jamie I don't know if they said Jamie they didn't say Jamie they said turn around turn around yeah yep yep so this is when we learned that the camera has a delayed feed uh, of 30 seconds and at this point in time Sydney has ran to the van to try to get the attention of Kenny and um, just then Ghostface shows up and slices poor Kenny's Poor neck. Poor freaking Kenny. Yeah. Poor freaking yeah. Uh, escapes to the van. They continue their little chase scene. Dewey and Gail have finally showed back up to the house. They realize that crazy stuff is happening. Uh, at this moment in time, they're assuming that Neil Prescott has returned. Gail discovers the slit throat of her cameraman, Kenny, and she is like, what is going on? Gets into her van, tries to make a phone call. Uh, but she is disrupted by all the blood smeared on her windshield. Um, it's then that uh, the body, the actual body of Kenny uh, had been on top of the van, leaking the blood all over. Uh, she drives off as fast as she can. And Sydney shows up trying to stop Gail from driving away, which causes Gail to wreck her car. And this is just a very chaotic scene. Um, Sydney keeps her continuing her chase scene. She finds... Uh, finds Dewey back at the house. Uh, Dewey now has a knife in his back mm-hmm. and stumbles to his possible demise, uh, revealing Ghostface again. Sydney gets into the cop car where, when I was younger, this was like one of my favorite scenes. I thought it was so creepy. Uh, Ghost- scene? Yeah. Yeah, just Ghostface being outside of the cop car and how um, he has... Yeah, he has the keys, like, hey, you can lock yourself in, but I'm going to get in. So the scene kind of plays out, Sydney going back and forth to different doors, locking them. But little uh, does she think that uh, Ghostface can now get into the trunk of the car and opens up the back. Um, So Ghostface now jumps through the back back of the car, Mm -hmm. uh, surprises her as she's trying to call for help. Uh, She continues running, finds a gun, and it's revealed that Stu and Randy are both at the front door. Uh, at this point in time, Sydney is very confused uh, because Stu Talking is pointing you. fingers at... <laughs> yeah. yeah, yes, that's a very iconic line too. She's, you know, she's she's a very tough, tough, tough woman. And I, I love that about her character and the way Neff plays her. 
So she, you know, you know, fuck you both. Um, you're both pointing at each other saying you're the killer. Well, screw you guys. I'm, I'm going to worry about myself at this moment in time. You guys figure it out. Uh, she's like, please leave me alone. Billy then stumbles down the stairs as she's back in the house, all bloodied up from being stabbed by Ghostface. Uh, she's grateful. And then the tables turn. So what do you feel about this movie leading up to this point? We spent the last 20 minutes of this party and things have just been going crazy. Uh, you know, Neil Prescott's car has been found. Dewey and Gail are flirting with one another. They share a moment kiss. Billy and Sydney have sex. Billy gets stabbed by Ghostface. We assume he's dead. Uh, and Randy and Stu are pointing fingers at one another saying that they're the killers. Yeah. Uh, how do you feel up to this point? Well, I do have an interesting point that when Sydney was in the car and she made the phone call, did she make a phone call to the police? In the police car. Uh, she's on the CB radio. Are you there? Are you there? Yeah, so... Oh, sorry. <laughs> uh, no, you're good. No, so she, she didn't make a phone call, but she had the CB radio in the cop car. And she was like, I'm at Stu's house and said, please, he's going to try and kill me. And she doesn't mention Ghostface, but she met, had just mentioned Stu's name. And I thought that was mm. interesting because I kind of felt like when you, you see it and you know that Stu was behind it, you're like, oh, she's saying, oh, he's trying to kill me, meaning Stu. I don't know. Yeah. Did you? I don't no, know. That's a good, no, that's a good point. Um, yeah. I mean, at this point in time, I think that she, at this point in time, we're getting narrowed down to mm -hmm. the people that it possibly could be. Um, Stu is basically the last person she had interaction with. Um so yeah, she. I'm at Stu Mocker's house, and he's trying to kill me. Yeah, um, I the the knock on the window for me was so like, hey, I have the key. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Got you, girl. So you ain't going anywhere. Me. And I just I feel bad for Sydney that she is going to be so traumatized by this. I don't know. I, I'm oh like, yes, I question that decision a little bit. Yeah. Um, by by Wes. <laughs> yeah, it's, there's been a lot going up to this point, and you know we're now with you know Sydney's back in that back in Stu's house. She has the front door locked. Billy just came back down the stairs. He's all bloody, but thankfully he's still alive. Uh, yay, my boyfriend's not dead. Um, he'll protect me from these two crazy men that are outside blaming one another. Uh, you know, Billy kind of says, "Screw it, we're gonna let them back in." Uh, Randy comes back in and Billy uses the gun that Sydney had and shoots Randy in the chest. Uh, this obviously completely shocks Sydney. Um, kind of looks at him like, what is happening? And this is when we kind of see Skeet Ulrich's acting kind of go from this charming, mysterious man to a complete psychopath. Psychopath. Yes. <laughs> um, he says, Anthony. Yeah. No, go ahead. We all go a little mad sometimes. Yeah. Yep. Uh, which is actually a very famous line spoken by, which he also mentions, Anthony Perkins in Psycho. Um, so Norman Bates, uh, when he finally re gets revealed as being the mastermind behind all of this, uh, he does say we all go a little mad sometimes. Uh, so at this point, as an audience, we're like, whoa, okay, this, this was Billy's doing the entire time. Mm -hmm. Billy's a killer. How crazy and then just as Sydney goes to run away from her boyfriend, she runs into Stu, who's now back in the house, who has a voice changer in his hand. Uh, and he says, surprise, Sydney, in Ghostface's voice. 
you know, at this point in time, the slasher films were kind of a uh, horror was kind of dead in Hollywood. Uh, a lot of these horror movies kind of ran their course. Friday the 13th had been going on for a while. Halloween had been going on for a while. Nightmare on Elm Street. Um, Hellraiser. All these. I'm sorry. What was that? Did they did those movies that you just mentioned all have sequels? Yes. Uh, yep. Every single one of them. Uh, they're basically franchises. So they had v- okay. multiple films at this time. It got to the point, though, where Hollywood was kind of a. Uh, kind of over horror films and a lot of the sequels are going like direct to video um audiences weren't showing up the theaters for them Mm -hmm. uh the slasher film was definitely dead this movie resurrected the slasher film for multiple reasons but one reason being that it it's i don't know if it's i'm not sure if it's the first film to ever do this but it's the first um you know mainstream movie to really throw you off track introduce two killers as opposed to one mm-hmm. so even if, even if you as an audience were like the whole time they're throwing this off billy is definitely the killer it's revealed billy's the killer you're like ah, i knew it then we find out that there's two people behind it and it is Stu. yeah so sydney's completely shocked they kind of uh play around with her a little bit talk back and forth about um kind of talk about how they came up with this idea uh, they use the voice recorder uh, to kind of play around with her a little bit to to speak to her. Uh, Stu's now completely gone crazy. Uh, his comedic, his comedic class clown type personality has kind of turned into a demented uh, sociopath. He says that um, point, it's a scream. It's a scream, baby. Scream. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So now, uh, not only is it discovered that these two are behind these birds have been happening. We also discovered that they're behind Maureen's murder as well. We find out that Maureen, Sydney's mother, had been sleeping with Billy's father, uh, which completely ruined his family. Uh, his parents got divorced. He became this lonely, tortured boy because of it. Um, you know, he was a child who was ruined by his parents' divorce, and her mom was the reason behind all of it. That Cotton Weary had nothing to do with it, and that it was them that came up with the idea to kill her mm-hmm. um and they just kind of decided to you know keep it going and um yeah kind of it's a crazy reveal so it's not just it's not just the reveal of who the killers are it's not just the reveal of that's what's happening is because of them at the moment um but it it's you know the whole reason this movie is what it is and where Sydney's at in her life uh is all because of all because of this yeah it's it's insane yeah um so we kind of give a little bit of a motive here and even this motive kind of stalks you stalks you uh yeah the motive shocks you and it shocks Stu. uh yeah yeah Stu's reaction to it is kind of like wow this is the ride a little bit yep you there we we broke up for a second i know it's okay. Uh, I think I said <clears throat> Stu's just along for the ride at this point. <clears throat> yeah, Stu's Stu's definitely along for the ride, and this also shows that uh, Stu was easily man- manipulated because Stu didn't know the whole story behind why they were doing this or why all these events played out the way that they did. Um, uh, and you know, Billy ignorantly also uh, tells Sydney, you know, you're. You're you're just like me. 
uh, you know, you're, it's kind of the Batman and Joker story where, you know, you think you're innocent in all of this, but it caused uh, deviant behavior. Uh, it fucked you up. Uh, you had sex with a psychopath, whatever. Like deep down, you knew that this was all part of, of what was happening. Um, and, you know, Sydney basically, you know, without using the words, basically is like, I'm, I'm not you. I'm not, I'm not anything like you. Uh, they then revealed that they have Sydney's father, Neil, tied up in the house and they're going to frame Neil for the murder. They're going to kill Sydney and uh, Billy and Stu are going to get away with all of this. They're going to be the masterminds and they get to you know carry on their life while all this happens. Uh, what do you think of everything up to, up to this point so far? Um, Billy's psychotic. Yep. And Stu is a dumbass. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, so like, here, you know, friend is like, yeah, let's kill all these people. It'll be so fun. And the other person's like, yeah, let's do it. Okay. Yep, <laughs> I don't know. Yep. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Billy is um, and <sighs> yeah. yeah. So Sydney, at this point, Sydney's like, you're not going to get away with this. You guys think you're so clever, but you're actually really stupid. Um, and they kind of explain to her how it's all going to play out. Uh, they're going to show that they were attacked as well. Uh, they start stabbing one another. Um, this was a crazy scene for me. Mm-hmm. The, it, so uh, they practiced. Don't go what? Don't go deep. Go to the mm-hmm. the sides and don't go deep or something, right? Yep. They, yeah, they were trying to. They're trying to figure out how to, uh, you know, not hit any major organs or arteries or anything like that. Uh, so the fun thing about Scream is this scene at the time was considered so violent that the Motion Picture Association of America, the MPAA, who rate films, uh, gave this film an NC-17, hmm. which is like a taboo rating, especially at the time. Um, no, basically, if you have an NC-17, no theater is going to put your film out, um, you know, in their in their places. So to see this film is going to be very... Um, very hard to see. It's going to probably go right to video. It's not going to have a huge audience. Uh, they had to, Wes had to resubmit the film nine different times in order to get an R rating. Uh, they didn't, MPAA didn't have any notes. They basically just said, tone back the violence and or the violent nature. So I think there was a longer lingering shot of Drew uh, at the beginning hanging from the tree. There was a longer shot of Steve's organs falling out. And um, uh, I think this scene in general of them stabbing one another was a little bit longer and a little bit more violent. Uh, So you could only imagine what else was actually there. I don't want to. But I don't want to. So meanwhile, so it's just a bloodshed here. Uh, Sydney is like, uh, you guys are crazy. And she says... Yeah, the very infamous line of, uh, you know, you sick fucks, you've seen one too many movies. Yeah. Uh, and Billy then says, no, Sid, you don't blame the movies. Movies don't create psychos. Movies make psychos more creative. So this was an ongoing debate in Hollywood for a while, especially from this point on, and actually goes all the way up to Scream 3 coming out to theaters. Uh, Scream 3 was about to be released around the time of the Columbine uh-huh. shooting. So uh, the studio basically was like, unfortunately, we're going to have to recut this film. Uh, You know, the the commentary such as that, that stems from the first one. We just, 
you know, we can't put these types of movies out in Hollywood right now. Um, Cause it's awful. It's an awful situation. And uh, to make movies being the blame for making people crazy. Um, you know, I, there's a big debate on all of that stuff too. You know, I mean, me seeing these movies as a child, you know, you know, some people look down on that and be like, how dare you show, you know, a young kid, these types of movies. And um, I don't know, there's a whole big debate on all that stuff. Yeah. So I don't want to get it. I don't want to get too much into that. I don't want to go on the political side of it all, mm-hmm. but uh, that's definitely a very infamous line. And I think it goes very well with the commentary of what the film's about uh, or the story they're trying to tell. So um, they just keep, stab- they just keep stabbing one another. Gail shows up. I think Sydney also at this point is like, I see the cracks in their plan. Like they're obviously, mm-hmm. you know, Billy stabs Stu harder than like he meant to. And I think she, she sees like there's conflict between the two and there's like, okay, there's a way out of this, you know? Yep. No, absolutely. And, you know, and with that being mentioned, uh, Sydney is starting to see those cracks and these guys are getting borderline too crazy uh, too cocky, too arrogant with, you know, them stabbing each other to try to make this, uh, you know, all pinned on Neil Prescott. Uh, Gail ends up showing up with the gun. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And she basically is like, I'm going to be the hero this time. I'm the hero in this story. And she goes to shoot Billy and realizes that the safety lock is on the gun. Yep. Uh, Billy, Billy loves this. It just makes Billy's ego bigger. And, um, <laughs> We're back to the the ending scene, and uh, you know Stu and Billy are now starting to to bleed a little bit too much. Uh, Stu is definitely in really bad shape. Uh, funny thing about this scene is when Billy's holding the phone, talking to Sydney, because at this point Sydney is on the phone turn with the voice away. changer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So she's she kind of turned the tables when uh, Stu wasn't paying attention, and Billy went outside to. Uh, take care of Gail and the whole gun situation. Uh, Sydney decided to take the voice changer um, and go hide. And she calls the boys on the landline and Billy's talking to her. And while he's talking to her uh, while they were filming, the blood was so slippery on the phone that Skeet Ulrich accidentally hit Stu in the back of the head, Matthew Lord in the back of the head mm-hmm. with the phone. Uh, and that scene is still in the film. Wes Craven left it because he thought it was genuine. And that's when, Matthew Lillard actually said the line, uh, you just hit me with the phone, dick. Uh, so that wasn't in the script. That wasn't even part of the movie. But Wes thought that it was still uh, on brand with their characters. So he just left it in and kept rolling. I love that. I yeah. love like, Im- like improv moments that make it into the film. I love like hearing about it. And yeah, I love that. Me too. Yeah, he, um, Matthew Lillard also decided to come up with the line of my mom and dad are going to be so mad at me. Yeah, That wasn't in the script either. So I thought that was kind of cool and definitely uh, again, on brand with his character. He didn't really care about all the, you know, all the murders that he was just a part of or whose lives he ruined in the meantime. All he worried about was his mom and dad were going to be mad at him. He didn't care that he was going to spend probably the rest of his life in jail or anything like that. So yeah. Crazy. Yeah. So then Sydney, Pops out of the closet uh, as Skeet Ulrich's character, uh, Billy, and hits him with the umbrella. umbrella. So iconic. Yes. Yeah. Sydney's wearing the whole ghost face attire. And uh, unfortunately, during filming, uh, it's actually a stuntman in the ghost face costume at the time. Um, 
the stuntman jumps out with the umbrella and hits Billy with it. And then he hits him again, but he actually missed the safety vest that Skeet Ulrich was wearing. And the umbrella actually went into Skeet Ulrich. Uh, oh my God. So he was like, obviously yeah. didn't penetrate him in a, in a, you know, a fatal way, but uh, Skeet Ulrich's reaction was uh, genuine. genuine as well. Uh, his scream and everything was because he was actually being, hit in the chest with uh, the end of an umbrella. So, ouch. There. Yep. Okay. You, you cut out for a second. <laughs> of course. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so that was a genuine reaction from... Yeah. Yeah, yeah so genuine reaction. He um, got hit at the end of... Uh, got hit in the chest with the end of the umbrella. So his scream there was actually authentic. Wes Craven also decided to keep it because... You know, you got an actual reaction to getting hit like that. So yeah. why not? God, that must have hurt. Gosh, yeah. Did he like uh, any injuries or anything? Or um, I don't think so. I guess he had. Oh, I read a while ago that he had open heart surgery as a child. Oh. So they, you know, had to check him out to make sure that they didn't hit anything major um, in the area of his chest. But he obviously was yeah. okay. So, okay. Um, yeah. Thank God. Yeah. Uh, Sue then comes running at Sydney and says, I always had a thing for you, Sid. Um, and she ends up throwing a television on top of his head, electrocuting him to death. Yeah, you, you cut out, but were you talking about how she electrocutes him with the TV? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so she, yeah, he comes charging at her and says, I've always had a thing for you, Sid. And she ends up throwing the television on top of his head and he gets electrocuted to death. Poor guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, got what he deserved um yeah and then billy shows up again uh he's not dead yet he starts attacking sydney and um here gail weathers comes to the rescue and shoots billy right in the head uh and you know yeah shoots him right in the head so he's obviously dead um poor, poor billy boyfriend maybe he's not dead uh I love Gail's line. I didn't forget the safety that time, asshole, or yeah. however she says it. <laughs> um, but Randy then reminds us that uh, this is playing out similar to an actual horror film. And he said, this is the moment when the supposedly dead killer comes back to life for one final scare. And um, this is one of the rules that he definitely got right when Billy pops back open really fast. Uh, but Sydney was ready for him with a gun in her hand. And uh -huh. blows him in the head again. So yep. uh, he's definitely dead at this point. <laughs> Love Randy for saying that. Yeah, Randy's the real hero here. Randy and uh, Sydney are just just awesome in this moment. Uh, Gail obviously is a, definitely a savior as well. Um, but yeah, so the next scene is it's now morning time. So the party ran well into the morning. And uh, this is the actual end of the film. And we see Dewey being... Uh, pulled out on a stretcher. He's okay. Kind of gives a thumbs up. He's good to go. And uh, Gail has emerged from this moment. She has whoever she needed to grab to come and record. Yeah, she got her. She got her top story. You know, she you know five minutes ago was uh, you know struggling for her life. Uh, she uh, shoots one of the guys in the head, um, and now she is reporting the news. And is she? She got that story, so it's awesome that's for her. What, 
Gail she does quit. not quit. That's literally nope. my note. Gail doesn't quit. <laughs> That's a good note to have. She doesn't. Uh, Dewey, uh, back to Dewey being on the stretcher, the, the original ending of the film, uh, Dewey was actually supposed to die. Dewey was actually dead. Uh, when they, you know, films, they always screen these movies for test audiences and test audiences loved Dewey's character so much that uh, a lot of the reaction to it was, let's keep Dewey alive. So they ended up refilming the very end and just had the scene with David Arquette on um, the stretcher to show that he was still alive. So he that. could continue. Yeah. Yeah. So he obviously does. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Um, but yeah, the very end of the movie um, has a ter- uh, an amazing score playing in the background. Uh, Marco, uh, Marco Beltrami, I believe is how you say his name. Um, this was his first ever, uh, film he did movie score he did. So, uh, I think it's very recognizable in the film world, especially the horror world. And, um, yeah, we get one last shot of the house. We hold, we hear Gail, Gail talking about, uh, everything that just transpired and we kind of pan off to the sun rising and we get one last quick shot of Ghostface, and then we are in the end credits. I felt like the movie ended very abruptly. I wanted some closure. Yeah. Maybe it was just setting it up for the second one. Yeah, and that's the thing, too. Like, knowing that Kevin Williamson wrote the script um, with the idea of two more films in mind uh, Mm -hmm. definitely has the ending make sense the way that it is. There's so much more story to be told. Um, and as we know, at this point in time, there have been six movies over the course of 26 years. Uh, we have Scream 1, 2, 3, and 4, uh, which Wes Craven directed, um, all of them. Kevin Williamson wrote 1 and 2. He unfortunately did not write the script for Scream 3, but he wrote the treatment, like the idea for it. Uh, but he had someone actually write the script. Kevin Williamson was too busy working on a bunch of other projects at the time to complete the script in time. Uh, the way they the studio wanted to. Uh, I think it was 11 years later, they came back to do Scream 4. Um, Kevin Williamson wrote that one. Uh, unfortunately, that was Wes Craven's last movie ever. Um, he actually passed away not too long after the film came out. Uh, I believe he, I think it was brain cancer that he had. Uh, he ended up passing away from, so... Uh, you know, we kind of thought that was the end of the Scream legacy for a very long time um, until they decided to bring it back. They had Radio Silence, which was an upcoming uh, team of people uh, decided to take the Scream world into their own hands. And they did Scream 5, which was also a tribute to Wes and all the previous Scream films. So they carried on the story um, as well as, uh, you know, paid homage to everything that has happened prior to it. And they also did Scream 6. And Scream 7 is currently in talks, um, which we can talk about <laughs> all that at another time. Yeah. But yeah, so that was that was Scream. That was 1996 um, iconic horror film Scream, which was the highest grossing slasher horror film up until 2018's Halloween reboot. Oh, okay. But if, yeah, if you um, go back to the box office money that Scream made, 
and take it into consideration for inflation now, it technically is still the highest grossing slasher horror film of all time. Wow. Yeah. That's crazy. So, cool. Well, that's Scream, Lauren. Um, I'm going to watch Halloween. <laughs> yeah. We've got a lot of movies we got to get you to watch right now. Yeah. Friday the 13th, Freddy Krueger. Wait, is Freddy Krueger... No, Nightmare on Elm Street. <laughs> you good. There we go. <laughs> um, cool. Okay, so now that you've seen now that you've seen Scream, one of my favorite movies, um, I obviously give Scream a ten out of ten. Um, I know ten's as perfect as you can as perfect as you can get. Uh, do I think the film's perfect? I don't think any film film is perfect. Uh, you know, there's always things that we can sit there and pick apart. Um, but I think Scream is a great horror film. I think it is a great movie. Uh, I've always enjoyed it. And I love introducing people to it. Um, I love talking to people about it. So I'm glad that you were able to do this today. With that being said, what would you give Scream on a scale of one to 10? Am I rating this as me? <laughs> me, the person who loves like historical fiction. <laughs> Am I rating it as that person? Yeah, you're going to rate it. You're going to rate it as Lauren Drake and how so you against, like Titanic. Me. this is up against titanic yeah oh my god okay well that i don't want to sound like an like a jerk because <laughs> obviously oh, yeah. everything is subjective and you <laughs> love horror from films and i love like historical fiction type of films and um shows oh my gosh so are we going like titanic's my 10 out of 10 so I'd say like maybe like a 6.5. Okay. No, that's fine. I mean, that's, that's the, you know, that's what this is all about. Out of this whole genre, I have, from what I've seen of it, I enjoy this the most. Yeah. Because I really like the new Screams a lot. Um, you and I saw the last one together. I really, every... There's one that I didn't like as much as the other ones. We can talk about that later. But um, <laughs> but in general, I really like this franchise. Excellent. Yeah, yeah I'm definitely happy to hear that. Um, as you and the audience, and I've said a million times on this, you know, this, this show is that uh, I love Scream. I love it as a franchise. I think the great thing about it, too, I like to tell people as well, and I know I told you at some point in time, is that you know, even over the 26 years that this franchise has been going on, uh, it's still one continuous story. Mm-hmm. Um, everything's connected and it all makes sense. It's not really, you know, over time, you know, it's kind of like, you know, kind of find how you can make the connections, but all of it still works. And I think that kind of goes all the way back to Kevin Williamson's original script and the characters he created, um, as well as the original trilogy. Um, you know, these are characters that the audience cares about. They're not just some random teenagers who, um, you know, we, we cared when these people died and it even showed with Dewey that, you know, he originally was supposed to die, but the, you know, the people loved him so much. The audience saw him originally and it was like, we can't kill Dewey yet. And um, yeah, I think it says a lot about this franchise as a whole that they created these people that we like. And we're not just, you know, we're not just in it for the bad guy. You know, you watch, you watch old horror films like Nightmare on Elm Street specifically, like, you're kind of in it for Freddy Krueger. Barnaby. Barnaby. Um, and then with these older horror films, 
you have one specific um, killer over the franchise. Like you have Michael Myers through all the Halloween films, Freddy through all the Nightmare on Elm Street films. And with this, you have, you know, Ghostface is an entity in terms of anyone can throw that costume on and have a motive behind it. So uh, I think that makes it creepy. And I think that's a way to make it uh, last for a long time. Yeah, because you never know who's behind the mask. Yeah. Yep. Um, Cool. Well, with that being said, I think we came to the end. Uh, Is there any any notes that you want to talk about that you didn't get to talk about during our little conversation? I don't think so. I, I, I do really like, like I said, it's not my genre, but I do really like this franchise and I'm thankful that you introduced it to me. And (laughs) um, yeah. And we've been able to, you know, talk about it and bond about it. And I, like I said, I really love the new movies too. And I don't know what's going on with that whole situation, but. Yeah. yeah i'm interested to see how all that plays out and you know um you know the the right side of me is like uh you know i think we need to take a break but the selfish side of me is like i want to keep telling this story because it is fun and it's um exciting so we'll, we'll see how it goes we'll I hope everything's handled the correct way and we're able to see some kind of future with the franchise um but yeah thanks for being my first guest on this um yeah, I mean, uh, I had a good time talking about it. Sorry, I probably talked your ear off, but no, I'm happy to see happy to see your side of the story, and I, I like to see your reaction shot to um, the okay. film as a whole. So, um, yeah. like to see you know your perspective on something that I've been watching since 1996 or 1997, <laughs> I guess. Um, and you being newer to it, so it's awesome. Yeah. But cool. Thanks Anything else you want to say? Nope. Thank you. Cool. Yeah, this was awesome. well, thanks, thanks for being on my show and I hope to continue this podcast and I hope to bring you back for many more episodes. If anything, I'd like to have you do the rest of the screen movies since you know, you were new to all of them. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I'll get you back for that. And other than that, uh, thanks again. And I will talk to you soon. Okay. Bye. Bye.